Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. I'm your usual host, the great Brian Last, but I'm under the weather today, so picking up the slack, today's host, Mr. Jim Cornette. Oh, come on! Come on! We're all counting what, on you. What a cold tag that was! Just a flat-footed cold tag. Here, you come in. Well, I've been watching a lot of modern wrestling. God damn. You know, here's the thing. Brian Last, you have you have misrepresented yourself to me. You have you have declared untruths to me. You have led me down the garden path. You have strung me along all the past couple of days. You've been saying, I just had one more day to recuperate. Just one more. Then we're gonna have a show filled with questions from the cult and reviews and comments and frivolity and audio and songs and maybe dancing maybe somebody will come in and play the spoons merriment mirth making well they'll have to wipe the smiles off our fucking faces with a sandblaster on your program and then just before we go on the air here you know I, I didn't promise i can't guarantee you're prevaricating you're backing up you're getting the limber tail on the on the things that you have represented to me was going to happen on this program, but just because you got a severe rhinovirus, just because you're coughing and you're wheezing, just because your nose is dripping, just because you've been hysterical several times and out of your mind raving and speaking in tongues, just because you spent a majority of the night packed in ice with a rabbi sitting by your bedside. You're now going to go back on those promises you made to me about just how fucking hilarious this goddamn program's going to be. Well, I thought if anyone could handle the task, it's you. And now you're trying to suck up. And not only that, but you're sucking up with germ-encrusted lips. <laughs> Don't get any of your <laughs> fucking... <laughs> Don't get any of your contagions upon me or my member. Well, I'm trying to keep you and your member far away from me right now, in case you haven't been able to tell. I'm trying to get you to introduce the listeners to your member, and instead you're dangling it over here like you usually do. Yeah, and I'm over here now. Behind the dumpster. You're over there, you're over there sweating. You're, you're, all right. So apparently no help will be had from the, host of the program here today because of your malfeasance of your cockles of your heart there. But now I've got a couple of things I got to start out with here. I got a nice, le a handwritten letter. I'll have, you know, hold on here. I got it. It's to both of us, but I received it because they know who they know where their bread's buttered. This is from Allison in Philadelphia. And it's, it's not only a handwritten letter, but it's on Hello Kitty notepaper. And she says, Hello So she's Kitty. obviously eight years old. Well, I hope not after I finish the first fucking sentence of this goddamn letter. Hello, Jim and Brian. My husband and I recently welcomed a new baby girl into our family. Okay, maybe not. I thought you'd back up on that one. While being a mom is magical and snuggly and blah, 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 it's also hard and at times surprisingly lonely. 
And during the many long, dark, late nights and early mornings spent taking care of my newborn, your voices have kept me company. Oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe not yours, Brian. Hey. And even more, it's, it's a, got a little wheeze to it. And even more importantly, you have kept me awake and entertained. Although there have been a couple of times where I have woken the baby up because I was laughing so hard, there's still nothing I'd rather listen to during our 2 a.m. feeding than the experience or the drive through 2 a.m.? Ought to get that kid on a regular schedule. Finish up your, clean your plate, and be and wash behind your ears and being tucked in bed by 9 o'clock, right? She said it's a baby. Babies wake up all through the night. Well, you got to start them early. That's what? why, we, you know, we'll talk about the Helix mattresses later on. You get one for the kids, put them down for a good night's sleep, tuck them right in the pocket. And... But anyway, she continues, and I can't tell you how many times my sweet baby girl has fallen asleep with Heaven is a Wednesday Night in the Key Demo as her lullaby because I was finishing up an episode during her bedtime. Thank you both for being an instrumental part of my baby care routine. Also, please find enclosed my drawing of Jim getting railed by a donkey. <laughs> what? As a courtesy, I have forgone <laughs> the inclusion of boogers or other bodily secretions. Thanks again, Allison in Philadelphia and son of a gun. Wouldn't you know who won the donkey? She sent a a very, not only a, a nice drawing, but it's colored. It's it's colored with, I believe she did a, a pen and ink outline and then had to color it with crayon. It's so beautiful, and it is me uh, with my pants down around my ankles being mounted and assaulted by a lustful donkey with his tongue hanging out. And I'm putting that up here right on my bulletin board, right above my my desk here that I'm sitting at right now. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate that. Why would she it's, send you that? I don't know, but it's fucking unique. But that was the greatest transition in the history of fucking letters. Thank you both for being an instrumental part of my baby care routine. Also, please find enclosed my drawing of Jim getting railed by a donkey. Maybe, you some, know, how maybe, maybe how many, someone should check on that kid. How many words are there in the English language? I don't know. And and how many combinations could there possibly be made out of that and then tell me that those two sentences have ever been written before in conjunction with each other? Jim Cornette gets railed by a donkey? Right after, thank you for being an instrumental part of my baby care. I don't know. They may have said, here, here's a couple of pictures of Jim Cornette getting railed by a donkey every, you know, ever so often, but not in conjunction with baby care. Yeah, I don't even think Penthouse would touch this. Well, are they still in business? I, I saw they did I don't a know, documentary actually. on them like they did on, on Playboy, Secrets of Penthouse. Yeah. And my, my friend Bruce Garfunkel used to be the associate publisher. Yeah, wait, wait, who, what, hold, right, back up. What was his name? Bruce Garfunkel. They, no, nobody besides Art has ever been named Garfunkel. That was part of the gimmick. No, there are plenty of other Garfunkels, and Bruce used to work hand-in-hand -hand with Bob Guccione. <laughs> hand-in-what? That sounds awful because of the hand? connotation of Penthouse and all the shit, but no, he used to work with Bob Guccione and help run Penthouse. Bob came off, I think, a little bit better than Hugh did. Because they were really blistering Hugh, but Bob, you know, he... 
Was this he made by like the a, same people? Was it like the same I, kind of like takedown? I think it, it's on the same network, and I can't call the network, but they don't pay for it, so why am I going to plug them anyway? But Secrets of Playboy, Secrets of Penthouse, I think oh. they were doing the. They show his mansion? The, they show his mansion over on Central Park? Um, yes, yes. The, the, uh, but now, here's the thing. These fucking New York mansions, they're not as impressive as the California mansions. Because the California mansions have room to spread out, and, and by the sheer size and square footage and opulence of that and the grounds and the upkeeping, you say, well, that's a fucking $40 million fucking house. But the mansions in New York, inside, they could be made out of solid gold, but outside they just look like another big building in a fucking street in New York. You must admit. Well, you're not going to get that kind of real estate in Manhattan. You have to go out to the Hamptons or different parts of Long Island, along the coast of Long Island. You have to go to North Jersey, out here where oh, I live. You know, you're always you always say, go to Long Island or go to North Jersey or go to Teterboro or whatever. I never say Teterboro. Well, I never use Teterboro. Bob Guccione didn't live in fucking Plainfield. No. He, li he lived in that building, and it was, a, it was an impressive mansion on the inside, but it didn't look like much on the outside. But real estate in Manhattan is more expensive than just about, I think, maybe like San Francisco real estate, maybe. Well, that's because people are suckers. Who's going to pay $5 million for a shoebox? Someone who's making $100 million. Well, then it seems like they ought to, if they're making $100 million, then just fucking quit right there, move out to fucking California or wherever, and get you a big-time mansion instead of trying to squeeze in above the goddamn dry cleaners and the pizza delivery store. There are some amazing uh, houses out here. I'm surprised this is not a couple times you've pushed people to California. When did you fall in love with the California mansions? And you're not there. Motherfucker. Hello, friends. We are once again in the future on another peaceful day here on the drive-thru. I am your host on normal days, the great Brian Last, and of course, the star of the show, Mr. Jim Cornette. <laughs> There's nothing funny yet. I don't this know why you're laughing. It's a, it's a shit show. That's my Gordon Ramsay. You'll kill somebody. Shut it down. I sound more like Nigel McGuinness. Yeah, if anything that we have done so far makes air, ladies and gentlemen, let me register that my enthusiasm for completing this program has plummeted in the time that we time-traveled from a couple hours ago. Brian, do you care to share with people why we had a sudden time travel in the, in the middle of the beginning of the, in the middle of the beginning? See, now I don't even know what I'm talking about. You've got me so frazzled, I can't form a cogent simile. Why did we time travel, Brian? See, now I'm afraid to come off mute. The gardener's right outside my oh, office window. And, the, and as we, after we time traveled a few hours, and before we could even put anything on tape here, if that's a phrase anymore, you've got uh, 
Then you said, hold on, I've got to mute you because I have to cough. And three minutes later, you came back with a goddamn, with your lung in your hand. And then you were trying to record the program and hit the mute because the gardeners distracted you or detracted you or whatever. And now you're claiming gardener noise. What the hell's going on here? What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here, Matthew? You don't hear my claim right now? I don't hear anything. Oh, give me a break. They're right outside the window. What do you mean you don't hear anything? Do I care to share? Listen hey, to the noise. You've got a whole, you got a foghorn voice there for somebody with the advanced stages of emphysema there, fella. Emphysema? Well, you sounded horrible a few minutes ago. Apparently you've nipped up when you, when your integrity is impugned as to the fucking background noise that all the listeners, along with myself, never hear. Now you've got me upset I'm going to get sicker. You see, now that my, oh, so my oh, fever is going to rise, I'm going to get Adam, hotter. Adam, it's an emergency. You, you cannot tell me you do not hear them right now out there. No, but now there's a goddamn truck in my driveway. Amazon has, they've come down the Nile and crossed into the Amazon and they've invaded the castle. You don't hear you, this you invasion? Hear you don't hear this invasion? Right now. What? Well, now you've seen, you've just turned an electric toothbrush on. Well, this was my show. This is my show. I'm the well, one apparently are. you've lost complete control of it. I just want to say, and already, here's another thing. Since here, your internet service, you didn't even explain this. I gave you the opportunity. You're, you're afraid, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed. Your internet service provider flummoxed our fucking connection as we began this thing. And then we tried to do it again. And it did the same thing. And normally you're blaming my my, inter, my Spectre internet service. They call it Spectre because you get a ghost of what you pay for. But it, it, and you're always saying, oh, run a speed test. Oh, Jim, you live down there in a in a hovel out in the hood where they don't have the good internet. Look down and you if you always run your speed, it's blazing fast. Well, then what happened? You check with your Internet server. Who are they? Infinity to infinity and beyond. Xfinity, not infinity. Xfinity. Well, by you Comcast. ought to X. You ought to X them out of your life, like Sadie Mae Glutz did, because they are working in your neighborhood, not even on your internet, but they compromised the integrity of your internet service and connection, and fucked our show up. And now we're starting here to. The middle of the afternoon, you know, I, I'm a senior citizen. I've been up since 614 this morning to watch the farm report. Farm report? Are you Wait, technically you a senior citizen? Do you have to be 65? No, you don't. I'm an AARP member. That's, I that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. Well, I'm a senior. I, I qualified, and although I did not take my Social Security, I'm waiting to get more. Again, not the same thing. I don't think you're entitled to any senior citizen discounts. You're not 65. I, uh, well, I'll have you know that some of the senior citizen discounts these days start at 55 because with the pressure of today's world and people wasting your time. You think there's more pressure today? Somebody's going to kick the bucket. You what? think there's more pressure today than 100 years ago? Oh, good Lord. All the only pressure you had a hundred years ago was if your donkey was going to die or not. If you had a, a healthy donkey, well, everything else just fell in line.
You're a big fan yeah, of the donkeys. All kinds of problems. Yeah, you're a big fan of the donkey, right? Well, there you go. See, that's why they were on my mind. <laughs> but that's right. We're talking a hundred years ago. I'm talking today. People are wasting my time today. And here I've got an example. Would you like me to give an example of people wasting my time today? Can you think of more than one? Yeah. Again, I'm afraid to come off mute because of all the noise, but hopefully they're oh, finishing yeah, you're up. Oh, yeah, afraid but... to come off of mute. Yeah, well, move, get that gag out of your mouth there. You know, Brian, I've got a lot of the emails. I mean, a lot of email addresses. I have an email address to jimcornett.com if you've ordered merchandise or have questions about your merch. There's an email address that goes there. There's an email address if the fans want to contact me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or try to contact me as I'm explaining through jimcornett.com. I got an email address for that. I've got what's allegedly to be a personal email address, but things have been encroaching on that one. And also, and we've got the corny Gmail address here at the, at the, the drive-through, whatever it may be. And we get a, I get a bunch of emails and I don't see all of them because I don't have fucking time. And sometimes if a couple of these days go by that uh, I just don't have time, I kind of just start with the day that I start back on and I, I miss some things. I will admit that. But as you know, my goal in life is to be successful enough to have the Internet service completely yanked out of this fucking house and never see any of this shit ever again. I got a lot of books to read. But there's somebody that's been emailing me at what's allegedly my personal email address, and I ignored the first couple, but finally I had to answer him. Would you like to hear, Brian, of, of the the first email or excerpts of it that he sent to me thinking I was apparently going to answer him back? Okay, I don't know who you're talking about, obviously. Okay, well, it's a guy named, hold on, a guy named, let me find his name here, Chuck Digate. Or dig it? Do you dig it? Out of D-I-G-A-T-E. Chuck Diggit. Digate. I don't know. He don't dig Digate. it. <laughs> Digate, but he's he writes me the first time here a couple weeks ago. And he says, Hi, Jim. My name is Chuck Digate. I'm a nationally recognized business growth business growth specialist and a published author. Business owners hire me to double and triple their net revenues without spending additional dollars on advertising and marketing. The reason I'm writing to you is to schedule an interview with you for my new book. I'm looking for a select number of experienced business owners in a variety of industries to give me their insights and observations I'm about to, to include in my second book. So he's only written one. Piker. In our first book, Break Out Your Business in 45 Minutes, we showed readers how to find at least $100,000 in additional annual income in 45 minutes without spending an additional dollar on marketing or advertising. And he's authoring his second book and blah, blah, blah. Would this be something you would like to help me with? Please find a slot on our calendar for a 45-minute Zoom meeting. So you can imagine I did not answer this, fellow. Yeah, there are well, all sorts of there are all sorts of people that pull this scam and inter, uh, interview and email people blindly. This happens. This happens to the drive-through email too. 
Well, oh, so now I'm just a, a common person that could get this treatment from anybody. That's okay. not what I'm saying. You're not a common person. But anyway, then he wrote three days later, Jim, my invitation to interview with me for my new book is still open. You'll get a lot out of our discussion. Anything you learn and find useful is yours to keep and implement for your own business. Three days later, Jim, the book interview I'm asking you to do with me is about companies in your industry. What does he think my industry is? How industrious does he think I am? I'm seeking your opinions and insights about various strategies that businesses could employ to accelerate their revenue and profits. Your expertise is valued. And then finally, seven days later, this morning, Jim, it has been some time since I last contacted you about interviewing you for my new book. I've spoken with many people in the healthcare industry over the last couple of months, but I'm still interested to get your thoughts about the profit acceleration strategies discussed in the book and how they would impact businesses in your industry. He's very industrious. And finally, I'm, I wrote by, I said, hey, who the fuck are you and who the fuck do you think I am? I have nothing to do with the healthcare industry, and I don't have a fucking clue what a profit acceleration strategy is, nor do I give a French fried titty fuck. And by the way, for your personal knowledge, if I had 45 minutes to spare, I wouldn't give it to you. Quit slopping up my emails. Signed, Jim Cornette, a person who doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. When I do try to read these things, this is the kind of shit I got to put up with. I was hoping you get a response. And well, we we tried to go on the air, and I haven't checked back. Anyway, people waste my. You know what? You're not wasting your time doing though, Brian. You're not wasting your time if you log on to jimcornet.com. Just stick your old log in to jimcornet.com that's a hilarious joke for the people who were reading playboy in the early 70s just log on at this coming saturday or possibly this past saturday by the time this fucking fiasco sees the light of day or the light of people's ears october 7th at noon eastern time jimcornet.com all of the merchandise that we offer the fine folks the cult of cornet goes back on sale for the holiday season, after a month away where we were concentrating on the pre-orders of the Midnight Express 40th Anniversary 4-Pack Action Figure Set Collection, which the first ones, by the way, are now being delivered, not the, well, the first ones that are being delivered, are now being delivered, thanks to the industrious work of the Featherbottoms. And uh, now all of the t-shirts all the DVDs, the pictures, the Cult of Cornet certificates, the graphic novel, everything else goes back on sale along with the 700 and I don't know what remaining Midnight Express four-pack sets of action figures for our 40th anniversary. What more can you expect at Jim Cornet? And here's what you can expect. How about a refund? Shut up. We did, hey, all sales are final, kid. No, we we provide refunds on a regular basis if anyone has an issue or... And then later on, one of the Featherbottoms personnel will pay you a visit. 
But nevertheless, 47 of the Russo restraining orders go back on sale while they last. We found a box and uh, all the proceeds are going to be going to the WHAS Crusade for Children. But if you've heard about the Russo restraining order that we sold for some time a few years back, 47 copies personally autographed by the stalker Jim Cornette will be on sale at noon on Saturday, October 7th, provided they're not already sold out because this thing doesn't come out until Monday the fucking 9th. And now I've done my duty there. What do you got? I got uh, the rest of your duty over here, I guess. Well, you said duty. You said it first. But I had done mine. All right, well, you can make a duty or you can make a sissy. We're going to go in another direction here right Let's now. Let's go back to this beautiful portrait from Allison of, me, of a donkey railing me. Soon to be on sale at Cornette's Collectibles Autographs. <laughs> This actually would probably sell. This is a fine piece of art. We'd have to get our permission, though, before we put it on a shirt or anything. That's true. We may be contacting you, Allison. That'd be good for, like, when you do live appearances, you could have, like, two guys come out in a donkey outfit, chase you around the stage. But who, who gets to be the donkey's head and who has to be the donkey's ass? Depending on what venue you're in and what town you're in, it could be a surprise every night. Who is that? Oh, it's Bill Apter. He's in Pennsylvania, of course. Well, then, then it would make sense geographically. That's right. Possibly do the human centipede thing, like where you, they did on South Park, where you would sew one, one person's lips to the other person's ass and then just see if you could poop all the way through them. It's a banner episode of the drive through this week, ladies this and gentlemen. This is your program. See, I'm punishing you. You certainly are. I am punishing you for what has gone on. And see what I'm doing there, too? See? See? I'm making noise on my desk. And I'm breathing into the microphone. And I'm touching your face. Well, as I said, a banner edition of the drive through Enough to make a man go insane. Speaking of which, I don't know if I could drive you completely insane and play you the... Wrestle Dream Media Scrum Audio just yet. Oh, boy. Why don't we start with something fun and stupid? I thought we already had, but go ahead. I've been going through some promos and uh, watching some stuff to enjoy from 84 and 85 WWF. And specifically the Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka feud and the buildup oh. to WrestleMania. So I got a few promos here. And you may hear the gardener in the background. <laughs> I don't even know where they could be at this point. Is that, are you saying that Tito Santana was the gardener? That's not what I was saying, Jesse the Body. You could stop with that right now. Chico Santana. But I have a few uh, promos here that were interesting, and you probably never heard them, because I think uh, at least one of them here is a local promo from Boston. Well, yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time in Boston back in those days. But this is uh, building up a show at the Boston Garden, the summer of 84, uh, this is from July 21st, 84. Here's Roddy Piper. We'll play this first. Give it a sec. Give it a sec. I don't know what the fuck. An error occurred. What the fuck? God Jay, damn it. Jason, you don't have any hair on your balls if you don't leave all this in. He doesn't make that decision. Hold on. Here's Roddy Piper. <laughs> You're talking to Piper's pit. You see? I'm a nice guy. 
<laughs> the problem in being a nice guy is goofballs, young witches that are trying to be something, go ahead and take advantage of you. <laughs> like Loopy Lopper, huh? <laughs> the female entertainer of the year. <laughs> so she got my show. <laughs> she goes out and decides what she's going to do is she's going to get Wendy Richter and they're going to have this big fight. <laughs> going to go against Captain on his own ground, own turf. Captain's got the great moolah, the world's heavyweight championship, and it's all over line right now. <laughs> well, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. <laughs> I know who's going to win. <laughs> I know Mola's going to eat a lunch. <laughs> Possibly something may happen to Wendy's throat. <laughs> something may happen to Cindy's throat. <laughs> if I was there and something happened to Cindy's throat, <laughs> Cindy Lapa, you couldn't sing no more, could you? <laughs> what I'm going to do is because the pit got out of hand, I decided to quit just for a while, but I'll tell you what I'll do. Come next week, I'm myself here, right here, on the pit. I'm going to have the winner of the World's Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> Mula, of course. <laughs> Got something else to tell you. <laughs> well, let me stop it there for a second. He's about to talk <laughs> about uh, other things, but there's him just building up the upcoming match, which was a big deal at the time, obviously, on MTV. Mula versus Wendy Richter. Yes, which he was an integral part of, and... You know, that's the thing about Piper, and you can see it there. Part of it is visual with the faces he's making and the 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 physical inflections he put into his delivery where you could tell that this was a guy that was not, or you would think this guy was not completely in possession of his faculties, but that he's doing this off the top of his head, which he was, but that he meant it. But even in audio, you could, he was a guy that, even if some of that is gibberish, you were listening to him. You were drawn into what he was saying, and he was getting the, the issue and the match and the thing over in his own inimitable way. Nobody else could fucking do that. And it was, it was just him, and it was natural, and that was why he was so unique. And in this era, you didn't see too many guys just by themselves with a microphone. Now we're used to guys taking the microphone of the announcer, leaving well, the that, ring. Well, that's why. Because it, when, in the 80s especially, the territories, I mean, you always had fucking, you know, uh, teenage fans in their bathroom with a pencil or a hairbrush or whatever, right? Doing the promos. But in the 80s, the television got so big and the personalities got so big that that led to the next generation of people that wanted to be wrestlers wanting to imitate the select few like Piper that were good enough where you could just give them a microphone and say go with no announcer and no set time and whatever the case. Well, let's go back to this now. And I want to bring up too, it has a look that I like. Very minimalist at the time in 84. Black background in the upper right corner is the WWF logo. And the wrestler really pops out because of that. But let's go back to Roddy Piper. Just to let you know, sometimes you really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I got me a letter here. Letter reads very simple. Dear Mr. Piper, I'm writing to ask your forgiveness for the actions of Jimmy Schnooker. Please do not beat him up anymore because he is a great man and he is hurt. Sometimes he cries at night. I know. I can hear him. Because you see, he's my daddy. 
I love him very much. Please don't hurt him no more. Oh, you take your daddy, man, because I am. <laughs> so, again, you want to talk about the change in tone. He goes from being all fired up about Moolah and uh, Cindy Lauper. I was like, Moolah Lauper. Cindy Lauper and Wendy yeah. Richter into sitting down, getting quiet, and pulling out this letter from, allegedly, Jimmy Snuka's child. Now, and did you say, was this a local promo for Boston? I believe so, although he said here, Piper's Pit, It's again, it's not on the Piper's Pit set, it's on what was the WWF interview, local promo interview set of mid-1984. Well, see, here's the, the thing, and we've talked about local promos in the past and different ways that they were done. We talked about in, in Crockett's territory, it was every Wednesday at Crockett's office, like nine o'clock till three or four in the afternoon. And in Mid-South, it was at Channel 3 in, in Shreveport, um, Wednesdays. <laughs> For whatever reason, Wednesdays were a cursed day. And we'd go nine o'clock in the morning until three or four, whatever, in the afternoon. And you talk about being minimalist other territories, Memphis, we haven't talked so much about the local promos, the way they were done in Memphis. It was literally in the locker room at the Mid-South Coliseum with Lance Russell standing there with a stick mic with Randy West usually on camera. Before that, it was Mike Shields in front of a black sheet taped up to the wall. Because that was, you know, they had a couple of lights on light stands and Instead of shooting the concrete wall, they put up a black sheet. And that covered up a lot of sins. It was like the television production version of, you know, fucking cholesterol medicine. And a lot of other places did that also, especially when they we did it in Smoky Mountain, when we shot the local promos in different places. Sometimes it was Knoxville at the Coliseum in the locker room. Sometimes it was Morristown. It was usually somewhere in the periphery of Knoxville, because that's where our production was being done. But besides the local promos that were selling the local house shows this Tuesday night at the gardens or whatever, that would be the place where if you were going to, if a, if a top guy was going to be booked out to another territory and like if Lawler was going to Florida or if Dusty is in Florida, but he's going to Georgia or whatever. That's where you would they would cut promos for those dates, and then you would send them to that territory, and they would insert them into their television show. So that's why you saw sometimes clips that you recognized if you were a fan or regular viewer of another territory show, you would recognize it when it popped up in a another region somewhere. So Piper could have just sat down. And done some of those, and the way he ended hard, I would have to think it was at least a local promo slot because that was a hard in and a hard out. It was commercial time. But, you, you know, a lot of times in those days when they were sending tapes to a variety of stations, had different deals or whatever, they might just shoot promos and stick them in something. So you never know. But that's how those guys not only the top stars that would send promos and talk people into the building in another territory, but it's how they got so good at doing promos at all because 
think about this. If you've got to do TV promos, two per show for 30-something different markets, like Crockett was doing it, and then they'd do generics for the ones he wasn't running. Or Watts had 20-something television shows in different markets. If there's guys doing four and five takes to fucking get it out, they ain't coming back the next week. Right? So all of these things were done. If there was a technical problem or somebody accidentally cussed, you did it over. Otherwise, you just fucking did it. And if you couldn't do it, you weren't going to be doing it the next week because you couldn't hold the whole process up like that. Although, of course, if you were a charismatic babyface, you got away with a little bit. So let's follow up on this from the same episode. Here's Mean Gene and Jimmy Snuka. Oh, boy. The Gurria Ivan Putsky will be going against Cowboy Bob Orton. Been a lot of question about that, too. Of course, that big tag team bout, and come on, and if you would, Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Jimmy, a return bout between yourself and Rowdy Roddy Piper. The fans here in Boston know what took place the last time. The bitter hatred, the animosity that exists between the two of you. I cannot recall anything like it before in my lifetime. Let me stop it right there. Gene Okerlund's so good at setting things up. I know some people thought he talked too much, but he was great. Well, no, but also I guarantee you he knows what's about to come, so he at least wants to try to sell the match in some type of English that people are going to understand. And also he's using up some of the time that Snuka won't have to because this bear in mind folks at one point for what a two year period, this was the most popular baby face in the entire professional wrestling business. And he couldn't say Suey if the hogs had him as mama Cornette would say, go ahead. Well, here he is talking about the man who hit him with a coconut, Roddy Piper. You know, Gene, it just only takes a moment in my own feeling and way of looking at things, how people just want to humiliate you. Well, you know, Ronnie Piper, it is just sad that people have to come behind your back, brother, and hold you back so you can start your dirty work all over again, just like the same way you busted that coconut over my head, brother. Yes. And what happens? I felt something, brother. And it was kind of red after I looked at it, after the moment, and the silence became silence, and I realized what happened again. But that was only the beginning. But Ronnie Piper, to me, the mess it has been signed again. But deep down in this soul, brother, it could be anything, anything can go too, brother. Just remember, my man, there might not be no interference, because interference, brother, can cause... A lot of damage, a lot of problem, hateness, especially deep down in your soul, brother. Just remember what hateness is, the feeling doesn't feel good. I don't like things like a piper humiliating me, humiliating my people, my country from where I am. Ronnie Piper, just remember one thing, brother. Hateness is a sickness where not even a doctor can cure it. It'll only just take you and me to settle this one silent moment. I thank you very much, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Psychologists have said that the opposite of love is not hate. Ronnie Piper, don't you ever forget. I know, but it's beating in your soul. Just keep letting it beat. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. (laughs) 
What did he say? Hateness is a sickness. And and he, stopped then, G- he stopped Gino trying to wrap it up. He's like, I want to go back to hateness. I got to add yes, more. Yes, I, w- I want to know what fucking old proverb Gene was going to end up with there. Yeah, he didn't finish. Yeah, we don't know what the opposite of love is instead of hate. Uh, and again, a lot of the modern fans are going, and they've heard of Jimmy Snuka, and they, oh my God, that was it. And the way he got away with it was that, the fans at that time, concurrent with his career, they they didn't know any Samoans personally. It wasn't like Samoans today. There's a plethora of Samoan people on television and wrestling and television, etc. Most people didn't know any Samoans or any... He was billed from the Fiji Islands, and they legitimately believed, which there was some truth to this, that he couldn't hardly speak English. But it wasn't he couldn't hardly speak English because it was his second language. He he'd been in the country at that point for fucking what how fifteen years at least, easily. Yeah. It just he couldn't he couldn't speak, but he was so believable. And he was intense. I mean, the whole time he's yeah. saying this gibberish, he's looking dead into the camera with his he, eyes wide. And I mean, he looked like a, if you'd ever, I, if they put wrestlers in the movies in the seventies, he would have been a jungle, you know, he couldn't be Tarzan cause he was more like the fucking jungle beast. Right. But he was a freak athlete, an incredible physical specimen. He did shit. Nobody else could do in the ring at that size or maybe any other size. And he looked like the, you know, the wild man from fucking Borneo, as they used to say. And so then when he became a babyface, they didn't people didn't care that he always had managers as a heel, and he was just, my God, a heel, he looked like he'd fucking eat you. But as a babyface, the people, oh, he can't speak English. But boy, when he gets a hold of him, he means it, whatever he fucking said. Yeah, this is the problem the cops had when they arrested him. They're trying to ask him questions. Yeah. He can't get an answer out of the fucking guy, he can't speak. Yeah, and and it took about fucking eight or ten of them to hold him fucking down to try to make him, too. So that part was a shoot, also. And dogs. Yes. Well, Jimmy... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'd feel sorry for the fucking dogs. Well, Jimmy Snuka, of course, had to leave the WWE. uh, Before he permanently left for a while in 85, he left for a while in 84. They say to go to rehab and get himself together. But they needed someone to come in and replace him, the feud with Roddy Piper. Here's from Piper's Pit, the debut of, I believe, a 19-year-old or 18-year-old, Tonga Kid. One of the finest masked men I have ever seen in my life, and it's always a pleasure to have you. Wait a second. I know I said I'd have Jimmy Snookers, one of his relatives out here, hang on. I didn't expect his grandma in his nice pretty little skirt there. I don't care what you got to say, all you can do is get out of here, man. I'm gonna say something to you, Mr. Piper. Well, what do you want to say, big boy, huh? You heard my cousin Jimmy Snooker. And every time I look at him, it makes me think of you. Ooh, I wanna challenge you now. I wanna fight you. Wait, 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 wait. What do you think 
like me right now. Let me tell you something, man. I'm a big shot. You ain't nothing but garbage. You're saying, Jimmy Shaker, look at you, man. Look at you. You sit here in that silly dress, and you want to challenge me. I'll tell you what to do. You want to fight somebody? You get through my man, the executioner, brother. And maybe, maybe next week, if you fight him next week and can beat him, maybe I'll give you a chance. Fight him? Then after I fight him, I want you. Oh, you want me? I want you. Oh, you want me, do you, huh? You want me? I ain't right nothing. I want you. And there's a owner of a lonely heart to play us off, but in a minute and a half. Yeah. A minute 49, a minute 49. That was, that would have taken 15 minutes on television today. And they would have been given a bunch of cute scripted remarks to banter back and forth to each other to elicit giggle from the other person as the, Oh, that was a sharp retort. Let me tell you mine. And, and it showed Snuka was so over because just the mention of this guy being his cousin and I want to kick your ass for hurting my cousin, Piper. The people are fucking screaming. And as soon as Piper says, well, fuck you, you're wearing a fucking dress and you need to prove yourself. Ooh, because they're into him. And even if it wasn't the most flowery of verbiage, both guys sounded like they were fucking ticked off at each other and having some type of adult conflict instead of childishness. And again, the Tonga kid was brought in to substitute for Jimmy Snooker, who wasn't there. And by the way, the Tonga kid, not actually related to the Snooker family, but to the... The bloodline. The bloodline, the you know, Anawahis and the Fatus. And, He's a Fatu, I believe. Yeah. But they so, they but brought him in and got him enough. over. They got it him over. I mean, him and Piper, I think, main evented the garden. Yes. And it it was uh, again. It, it, I'm not taking anything away from Tonga Kid, but it was a tribute at that point in time to how over Snuka was. That just a it was the bloodline forty years ago, a member of the family coming to get even with Roddy Piper for injuring the Superfly. And like you said. 90 seconds, give or take, in and out. He goes in there. You haven't really seen him on the show before. You know that he's dressed like Jimmy Snuka. He's related to Jimmy Snuka. Piper's talking to some generic mask guy, the executioner. They made you interested. They didn't do too much. And and I bet you when the Tonga kid fought the executioner, he beat him pretty convincingly, didn't he? I believe so. And the other thing is Piper, who always dressed everyone down, it's one thing if you dress people down and you're out quick. Because then you don't really just totally kill the babyface, but when it's a slow, drawn-out thing and you're just, with the crowd behind you saying your punchlines to the babyface, yeah. it kills the babyface. See, this is what I talk about when I say that, my God, the way that these confrontations happen now, and of course, they, we did critique this. These guys that would talk to each other like shit for 15 minutes without getting violent would start would start out at the opening with in each other's faces so they didn't even have any ground to advance now they're starting at opposite corners and over a period of the fucking minutes as they drag by they get closer to each other but you can't just have a fucking heel dress a goddamn baby face down uninterrupted for that long 
even if you're going to have violence at the end of it without everybody in the audience already says, oh, fucking punch him already. Get to it. It's just, it's overdone. It needs to be intense, passionate, back and forth, and in and out, make your points and get to your fucking deal. How many guys have anyone before Piper, and not counting Lawler, because, you know, he was doing it, obviously, but Lawler, Piper, who else as heels were almost insult comics where they would stand there and they would hit you with line after line after line. But again, they kept their heat. It didn't make people love them right away. Well, Jimmy Hart, because he obviously emulated Lawler and me, because obviously emulated both of them Piper, because he was so quick in all honesty, you know, a, a guy like Nick Bockwinkle occasionally would have a, a, a witty, you know, fucking sword to stick in one of the the baby faces, but it was kind of a new thing at that point. You know, and you'd always had kind of chicken shit, smart ass type heels, but not necessarily ones that were that that were that sharp and that could. And quick. I, you know, it, well, and, and it, I, I'm trying to be humble and still group myself in that category, but yeah. what I was going for was making the people, like Dennis Condry said at one point with the Midnight Express matches, especially on spot shows, make the people laugh at the heels because the baby faces are outsmarting them and taking the air out of the pompous windbags. And then make the people mad because you make them quit laughing when you take over. I I always said that I was such a smart ass, it was better if I was actually goddamn a little bit funny too. Because people, if you tell a funny fat wife joke, it might be funny except if if you're telling it to the person whose fat wife you're talking about. So when I was knocking the baby faces, fortunately, the baby faces were over because they didn't like hearing that about their heroes, the Rock and Roll Express or Dusty Rhodes being fat or whatever the case may be. And so that's why I had heat. But at the same time, the people could sit and listen to me eviscerate the job guys because they didn't really care about them on a personal basis. And... It was entertaining programming. The other big difference, too, is, you know, with Piper, he could infuriate you, and you knew if you bought a ticket, you were going to see him in a match, and someone will get their hands on him. With you, you would infuriate the fans. There was no guarantee that the babyface was going to get their hands on you. But over a period of time, if you built that up, then the payoff usually in the course of most of the programs was they would. Whether it would be five minutes with Cornette or Cornette in a cage or six-man tag or whatever the case, you just couldn't do it all the time because if they beat me up all the time, that's a, a wrestler gets beat up all the time by the nature of it. And he gets heat by winning and cheating if he's a heel. And, you know, that type of thing. But a manager keeps his heat by not getting beaten up all the time, doing more offense than defense, so when he does get the shit kicked out of him, it's from being built up and being deserved, and then he's got to go back and start being dastardly again. You can't just 
you know, the, the, that's why the manager bump at the finish of a big match, if the manager has heat, is the, one of the bigger pops in a match because the people see the wrestlers taking a bump all the time. But you build to, and the anticipation rises that somebody's going to get their hands on the fucking manager. And when he finally takes the big bump, yeah, that's where the baby should go in the air. Well, let's get at least one more here because uh, it continues what we were talking about. Here is the next week's Piper's Pit, October 21st, 1984. Roddy Piper with David Sammartino. And once again, the Tonga Kid will come out. This week we have with us supposedly the son of the living legend, David Sammartino. <laughs> Myself being a legend, I can understand your father being one. What, first of all, what I really want to ask you is what makes you think that you're good enough to come to the WWF when I ain't ever heard you in the minor leagues, here you are in the big leagues, who do you think you are that you're just going to come out here and ride on daddy's name? Well, Mr. Piper, ever since I was eight years old, that's all I've wanted to be was a wrestler. And I've worked hard and I've trained very hard. And I think I can't go wrong with... You can, you can take yourself and you can get out of here now while you can still act. I don't want to talk to you. You take yourself and get out. I want you now, Mr. Piper. I be one of your men. Now I want you. You sit around here in a little itty bitty dress and you're gonna come out here a young punk against a great Roddy Piper and you say you wanna fight me? I don't gotta fight you to prove nothing. I am Roddy Piper. You're nothing but garbage, mister. What you do is you get yourself out of here right now while you can. So I think, I think... I think you're making up a lot of excuses, Mr. Piper. I think you're a little chicken. Chicken. I never, I'm no chicken. I've never been afraid of nothing. I'm not a chicken. I'm not. Let me tell you something. I'll fight you in this. I'll fight you. I ain't no And there it is. Now he gets the match. Two minutes. Two minutes. Again. Ms. TV's like 10 minutes. Piper's Pit was two minutes. All these interview shows go endlessly in the ring. Piper's Pit was two minutes. And it's elementary psychology. The Tonga kid comes in. He's presented again as, as the cousin of Jimmy Snuka, and he's part of the family. And he comes out and challenges Piper. And then the Piper says, well, beat my guy. Well, the next week he's back. Well, I beat your guy. Now I want you. Well, I'm a star and you're a nobody. That is to put the people in the guy's corner. He No, he's Jimmy Snuka's family. God damn it, you coward. And he's backpedaling, Piper is. He doesn't want to fight him. And he's just claiming it's because he's a nobody and Piper's a star. It's really because down deep he's scared. But then when they say chicken and all the fans get on him, then he's backed into a corner he's got to accept. And we got that fucking done in two minutes. Gee, many Christ. Yes, we did. And that was our uh, review this week of old WWF or WWE audio from 1984. You know what? Maybe they ought to just play that on USA Network and on, Sm on uh, Fox Network for SmackDown. 
Play the old stuff from 84. Remember in, and I know it was a relatively shorter period of time, but remember when Bill Watts was there in 93 at the beginning of the year, right before they brought Flair back from WWE or WWF, they replayed, I think, on TV, Flair Steamboat and also Flair Funk, and it did better ratings than all the current WCW TV. Yes. Yes, it did. (laughs) And then they brought Ric Flair back, and, uh, well, WCW had a different future of course from that point forward but jim after listening to all this audio and all these audio problems and knowing there's so much more to talk about and media scrum audio it may be the a good time to be able to talk it may be a good time to take a nap on a fine helix sleep mattress what a transition folks it it, as a matter of fact i was thinking that because as, as i mentioned earlier in the program i've been up since very early in the morning and you're keeping me up later than my normal bedtime doing this program because, you know, I sleep like a baby every night on the Helix Sleep Mattress. And you can too. We've said this many times. You don't even have to be strapped down to these things. You you don't want to get up. That's true. Many's the morning I've said, I've opened my eyes and I've said, oh God, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. And the reason for it is because of the comfort and and the warmth and the cuddliness of the Helix mattress. and Well, depending on what kind of mattress you want. Obviously, they can customize their mattress. If you want a bouncy mattress or a firm mattress, that's one of the wonderful things about well, the Well, I don't think anybody will, will say, no, I don't want a comfy, warm, cuddly mattress. What do you want, a bag of hot steel balls? No, but some people may say, you know, on my back's bad. I need a nice, sturdy mattress. Well, they'll send you a piece of plywood, too, if you want it. That's the good thing about Helix. No. They'll send you plywood, steel balls, good mattress, whatever you ask for. They'll good send mattress. It to you. They will send you good mattress. That is a guarantee. And it'll come with a bag of steel balls and on on a piece of plywood so you can customize your own perfect sleep combination. Sold separately. All you have to do is go to helixsleep.com. That is the website, is it not? Yes, it is. Helixsleep.com. See, my my eyesight's not what it used to be, but Helix can't fix that. H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com, and take their quiz and tell them what kind of mattress you like how you sleep, who you sleep with, what things you do with the people you sleep there with. There are only certain, case. nope, they're not going to ask you too many invasive questions, just general questions to find out what is the right mattress for you. If you want the mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, they're going to ask your exact weight and your exact height. No. Well, well they've got to, they, when they put the, 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 the gnomes or the elves, or whoever makes these things, they got to know how big you are. If you're big and tall, you're just, you're a freak of nature and don't deserve to walk down the street in normal human company, but you got to go to sleep. They don't gnomes, it's not Santa's factory. They don't gnomes and elves. Well, they've got a team. Yes. They have a team. It's it's here somewhere. It's here in the copy somewhere. Yes, they have a, uh, they've got their own manufacturing facility. Apparently, they support the military and first responders, teachers, students. They have all kinds of mattresses with individual sleep preferences with 100-night free trials. And you could just, you could just box it up and send it. Good, look, good luck in getting it back in the same box, but you could just send it back. They'll give you your money back. I think they're suckers for that, for heaven's sake. Somebody's going to try to pull something. You better not. 
You better not. They know where you live. They sent That's you not mattress. what I meant. That's not what I meant. I just meant be a good person. Be a good person and sleep on a Helix sleep mattress that comes with a 10 or 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And folks, right now, if we have tantalized you with the thought of sleeping the sleep of the angels and potentially just staying in bed for the rest of your life, this makes it even better. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Nobody else gets treated like this, so shh, act naturally, say nothing. Go to helixsleep.com slash JCE, and whatever you buy, they're offering 20% off the mattress orders and two free pillows. So with this is, this is not going to last long. This is probably going to put them out of business, for heaven's sake. They're going to they're going to lose a fortune on this is quality merchandise they're practically giving away. They are taking care of their customers and there is no danger of them going out of business. They are running a fine business with fine mattresses that the fine listeners can purchase. Well, then they ought to charge a lot more for them than they do right now, because that would be the the mark of a a big time businessman. All right. Capitalist corner. And and see, and here, right, every Helix mattress is made by a team of skilled manufacturers and shipped directly from their facility to your door. Yeah, what's your point? It's a bunch of little elves that live in a tree. It doesn't say that. Their facility is inside an oak tree. Where do you see that or hear that anywhere? You don't hear anywhere? didn't Didn't your mother ever tell you that elves are the ones that make mattresses at the South Pole? No, I've never heard that ever. That's what. That's how she used to get me to go to bed. Why would that come from you? Tell me that if the elves at the South Pole found out that I wasn't in bed and asleep where I was supposed to be, that they would come and invade my dreams, and they'd bring their their little walking sticks that you see the elves and the gnomes have, and they would pummel me with those sticks from Antarctica. So I, I, Huh? Where'd you say they were? Antarctica? The South Pole. Which which one's Antarctica? That's the South Pole. Well, that's where they're at. Do you like penguins? Well, I like penguins, but Mother never told me that they would come and beat me about the head and face with fucking walking sticks, so... Listen, this is a deranged story, but of course the listeners don't have to worry about any beatings with walking sticks or anything else you have to worry about a good night's sleep. You don't have to worry about you it. Know, you know, the thing is, it. they're only about three feet tall, though, so if if you can get up on a box, the only thing they can reach is your knees. Well, we uh, knees to tell everyone once again the promo code, Jim. Well, that would be helixsleep.com slash JCE. 20% off, off all mattress orders and two free pillows. And wear some knee pads if you're around elves or gnomes. Well, Jim, we love Helix Sleep, but let's get off that mattress and let's wake up and let's listen to some exciting audio from AEW's Wrestle Dream post-show media scrum. Wait a minute, let me get my hot cocoa and my little nightcap with the furry ball on the end of it on, because this will put you to sleep if anything will. For the record, I have two coffees on my desk right now in anticipation of this, but it was a lot of interesting things and we'll break it up and we'll play different segments and talk about what you think about this. Let's start at the beginning, Tony Khan opening up with Adam Copeland. Let's hear it for the newest member of the AEW roster, yes. Mr. Adam Copeland. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having me. So, so what's new? <laughs> Sorry, I'm for the obvious. 
This is going to be excellent. Well, I'd like to begin uh, by welcoming Adam to AEW. And I thought it was a great show tonight. Thank you, everybody, for being here tonight at AEW Wrestle Dream. Uh, It was an amazing event. Thanks to all of you. And I'd like to announce Adam Copeland has officially signed with AEW. Yeah. Congrats on being all elite. And something I'm really excited about, uh, something that I think is going to set this apart and uh, something that got me even more excited uh, about Adam being here is this is full-time. Adam's going to be with us every week. He's going to wrestle. He's a full-time part of the AEW roster. I think it's going to be a long time since anybody's seen Adam Copeland wrestle uh, as much in it, and at the level he's been in AEW. He's already been doing great stuff. He's wrestling at the highest level in recent years, but he's going to be here on a weekly basis, and it's something I'm so excited about because that's great news for us in AEW. It's great. Let me stop it there. We heard a great and excellent and amazing. Yeah, and amazing. He could have said that in a quarter of the words that he used and just turn it over to the guy that everybody's waiting to hear talk. He needs to get on the decaf, possibly a Xanax before the scrum. I'll give Tony credit. He's wearing a suit again. So he's dressing up. His hair is still a mess and he looks like he hasn't shaved or slept in days. And he's also wearing Antonio Inoki's red scarf. Oh boy. For effect. But what do you think about it? Did his- he knock the picture of Antonio Inoki over at the ceremony? Somebody said he was, I, I saw a clip of him where he went to try to hug the Japanese people who looked at him like he was a fucking space parasite. But I didn't see him knock over the picture of Antonio Inoki off the table in the ring when he was klutzing around. I didn't see the ceremony. Was that on the pre-show? It was on the pre-show. Yeah, the pre-show was as long as most pay-per-views, apparently. I have to see this. Any interaction with Tony and other human beings in public is always really fun to watch. But let's hear some of the words from Adam Copeland, some of the first words. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I, um, part of coming here is that I wanted to contribute. Um, I, uh, I wanted to help. And I just felt like here I'd really be able to do that and have the opportunity to do that. And I look at an entire fresh roster of faces and, and so many talent that I've never laid hands on before. And that, that to me, as a person who is uh, driven by challenges, that for me was the biggest thing. Like I've never been in a ring with Samoa Joe. I've never stood in a ring with Sting before tonight. After 31 years in the industry, that's never happened. Um, and then I see a guy like Nick Wayne or I see Swerve. There's, there's just so many possibilities here. And for me at this stage of my career, that is so enticing. That is so exciting. That is so, uh, you know, I, I said it out there <clears throat> after the fact, when I came back out there tonight, I felt free. Let's pause it there for a second. What do you think of those comments? Well, <laughs> do you understand where he's coming from? Yes, I do. And, and also when he said, I think I can contribute, I think I can help. I just flash back to the last guy that thought that who just got fired for front face lock and one of those young fucking fresh faced puppies that he thought he could help. Never forget how happy Tony Khan and CM Punk were at those first press conferences together. It was just like this. That's the thing. And I'm not knocking edge here. I'm wondering if he thinks that he is, yes, he can have all these fresh matches. That's a different thing. But as far as helping contribute, you can't contribute anything if nobody wants to take it. So is it going to be that, is it going to be the, uh, the hangnail page there? Well, I don't really listen to advice. We, you know, we've done so great on our own. Or is it going to be the, the buckaroos? Geez, he's getting over us. Here's another one. 
we got to put a stop to this or it, it, whatever it may be. How receptive is the audience for his help going to be is what I'm worried about. Or is he, He's going to have plenty of fresh matchups. I don't know if I'd go to Edge versus Nick Wayne real quick. I think he and, can, I think he can contribute like someone like Nick Wayne for instance. I don't know anything about him, but he's a little different I see than like some of these guys that when AEW started were just complete indie guys that didn't want to hear from anyone cuz they thought their shit would get over and it didn't. Or, yes, but it this can't be you know the guy just coming to do charity on the air. It's still a business. Let an Edge versus Sting, well that might be attractive except the combined age is 110 or whatever. Let's concentrate on Edge, I, I keep saying Edge, Adam Copeland versus MJF. Adam Copeland versus Twinkle Toes would mean something for that audience. The main event fucking guys, don't put him in there with Moxley. He doesn't deserve that. Yeah, you but do. The main, the main names of the company and not Jericho, where the, there's the combined age of 106, it would be the guys that are still that are on top and can still go and need a little extra boost up rather than the elderly or the completely green as chlorophyll just because it would be a good match they've got another star now they got another name let's not fucking make him one of the boys and let's not Make him half of the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions go ahead i'm sorry i'm droning well that's all right let's go back to some audio right here I, I, that's just the word that, that pop, like I, I felt free and it felt fun. And I felt almost like the same feeling I would have when I'd, I'd come out for my indie shows, you know, back when I was either Adam impact or Sexton Hardcastle or something. And it was this brand new thing that I always wanted to do. And, and, and that feeling, I felt it out there tonight. And that at this stage of my career to feel that that's special. That's uh Man, like, come on, 31 years in and to feel that way, that, that's a gift. And this is all I ever wanted to do. And this feels like an opportunity to come in and not just come in every three months. Like, I can be there every week. You know, I'm a, I'm a full-time guy. And uh, I want to do that for as long as that is possible because I feel like that's how I can help the most. And um, more than anything, that's, that's what I'm here to do. Like you said before, very similar to CM Punk's comments when he first came in. The excitement, the feeling of freedom, which I yeah. guess just means not having Vince or Paul or Bruce or Kevin Dunn or any of these people telling you anything. You could do whatever you want. You can understand why he would feel excited by that. Yes, I do. I'm not sure. It was unintentional comedy. I'm not sure I would have phrased it. I felt like coming out in AEW, I felt like coming out at an indie show. That, you know. Well. Some people, that's a good connotation. Other people, it's not. Um, but this, again, may be part of the problem that he's going to find out about. He doesn't have anybody telling him what to do. But unfortunately, nobody else has anybody telling him what to do either. And then if people start telling him what to do, which ones are they supposed to listen to? Is he going to be a producer and an agent? Well, they make suggestions. They don't give instructions. We've heard about that and seen that in action. So I'm just wondering if he's 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 happy to be back with Christian and, and a number of his friends, but I'm wondering if he's fully grasped that... Does Edge even know at this point 
that you can't give all the boys the freedom to do all their creative shit or you end up with what AEW looks like now. You know, AEW has a lot of problems. I don't know if Edge will be the solution. You could hope if you're an optimist that Edge will do something to make things somewhat better, at least in his segments. But again, this is what we were saying about Punk a couple of years ago. At least his segments will be good. But uh, let's go back to Edge. Some more comments. Edge and Tony Khan. Or excuse me, not Edge. Adam Copeland. The Cope. It's great news. And uh, in, in even more great news, uh, we're going to hear from Adam Copeland, the Rated R Superstar, for the first time ever on AEW Dynamite this Wednesday night. Perfect way to begin a new era and to celebrate the fourth anniversary of AEW Dynamite. So I'm Perfect way to begin a new era. Have everyone's DVR go on the fritz. And yeah. <laughs> bring in your biggest star. Good idea. And, well, he should have said, don't tune in AEW Dynamite. Tune in right after AEW Dynamite at 10 o'clock Eastern, because that's when Adam Copeland's actually going to go on because of all of our technical difficulties. Not only did the DVR listing on many of the major cable systems had AEW live at 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, Wednesday night, but because they had technical problems in the broadcast and played one of the shitting, shittiest, meaningless interviews ever twice so people could hear it, which was a detriment, that put Adam Copeland over the edge of 10 o'clock and anybody whose DVR was set properly for 8 to 10, it's, they still didn't see it. Well, it's done, it's done well on YouTube, but let's go back to Tony and Adam. I'm really excited to have you uh, this Wednesday in Stockton on Dynamite for the first time ever. Yeah, I'll give the mission statement uh, and kind of uh, explain uh, what happened tonight and, um, and what my thought process was there because there was a, a lot of different things going on emotionally out there tonight. Um, hey, Keith. How you doing? Good to see you. It's been a while. Um, Keith Elliott Greenberg. He gets everywhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, man. Like, if you can't tell, I, I'm pretty excited. And I feel like a little kid again. And uh, this is the best gig in the world. It, it really is. Yeah, I'm a kid from Southern Ontario, and this is all I ever wanted to do. And if you had told me that 98% of what would happen to me throughout my career would happen, I'd say, you're crazy. Well, throw this onto the list. And at the top of the list now, because my God, it just, uh, man, I just, I can't tell you how excited and and even just... So I'll tell you a story. Uh, Friday, I fly here Friday, right? And uh, I call Darby. And I'm like, hey, Darby, you're a Seattle guy, right? So I want to get a muscle car. And do you got any cool what? sites that we could shoot? So we just went and gorilla shot Friday night from like nine to midnight. And I'm hanging out of the back of an SUV holding the cameraman while this muscle car is going 50 miles an hour down Gum Alley. Was it Gum Alley with all the gum? It which was disgusting <laughs> and awesome at the same time. And I'm just like, I'm hanging out of an SUV holding the cameraman and I'm just cackling at 49 years old. Like, this is amazing. What, what are we doing? This is awesome. And again, back to that word, just free. All right, let me stop it there. There's a little bit of insight in how that video, the video that surprisingly played when Darby was being beat up to show Edge driving down the road to come save him, that's how it was made. Oh, boy. Uh, well, first of all, Gum Alley. Apparently, I've been to Seattle. Nobody ever mentioned that to me. 
I missed one of the... They've got all the gum, apparently. One of the uh, big tourist attractions there. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I understand he wants to have fun. I know he's not mentioning the however many millions of dollars that Tony has offered him to do this full-time once a week, by the way. Full-time is now, I'm going to be here every week. Well, he could do Collision too. We don't know. Oh, come on. We don't know. Frank Sinatra could do a fucking local goddamn telethon for uterus repair too, but I don't know if you need to fucking spread the stars that thin. What channel's that telethon on? It'll be on, on channel BR549. Um, I'm glad he's happy, and I'm glad he's getting to work with people he likes, and I'm glad if they've annoyed him uh, up at the other place or you know, made him feel unwanted that he's somewhere that he can feel wanted. I'm afraid that the enthusiasm is going to wane when he sees what a shit show that the whole operation is and that one person is not going to be able to stop this unless they're named Tony Khan or Shad Khan. And also, who does he want to get in the ring with over there when he had to retire for X number of years with a bad neck. Just, are we going to see... Ray Phoenix. That's what I was going to say. Are we going to see Felix picking him up and dumping him on his head a couple of times in a row? Or are they going to treat him with the respect and deference that a major star with a bad neck deserves? Or do they know how to do that? That's why he's got another reason you got to be careful who he works with. I'd, lo I'm, I'd love to see Edge against Christian. That'll be fabulous. Edge against pockets may be a different matter. Who knows what's going to happen here? I don't, Adam. I don't know how. Against Adam. I don't know. Edge against Adam. No, no. Edge is Adam. You can't call him oh, Edge, edge anymore. Edge is Adam. Well, he's one step closer to the edge and he's about to break. Should he have changed his name to Cliff? <laughs> and then he could do the, the promos. You're headed for the cliff, baby. I don't, I'm just, um, you know, these promo videos, I remember saying it to you years ago when AEW first started, it would be one thing if you said as a promotion, we want to let the audience know that we're giving each top wrestler a filmmaker that will work with them on crafting their vision for what they want to present to the audience. That's one thing. But I understand why guys like making these videos. I understand why he liked hanging out with Darby at Gum Alley. Why MJF and Adam Cole liked hanging out on the water with the big show. It makes them happy. But what function do these videos really serve other than making the actual wrestler filming them happy? Well, they could serve a purpose, but sometimes not in the context that they're presented. Remember before the first primetime special on TBS back in 1986 for Crockett, they wanted to make Magnum look like a, a TV star, like he did anyway, standing there. And they shot him riding his motorcycle with his leather jacket through down through the streets of Atlanta and into the Omni. And I think there were even some fans there to cheer as he pulled up. And then he went into the fucking building or whatever, and then they went into the open of the show. It's a cool thing, the big baby face, motorcycle riding, leather jacket wearing, fucking Tom Selleck looking motherfucker is riding through the streets of Atlanta on his motorcycle. It wasn't to come and save Dusty from the horseman. It, it was just, it was a personality piece. 
And it was shown right. on the television program to give him more personality, but he wasn't. It didn't come up on the screen when the horsemen are kicking the shit out of Dusty. That Magnum has to drive from fucking Northwest Peachtree Street down there with a camera on him and get all of his glory yeah. to come and save his fucking best friend. With a camera on his head, a camera behind him, a camera to the left, every kind of yeah. view you can get of this rescue. No, that's the context. Just showing him doing that in his private life like he really does it is is fine and is great and gives you added dimension. But driving a video driving down the street while they're kicking the shit out of your fucking boy. Fuck your video. Just get out there. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, let's go back to the cope. Adam Copeland. Diarrhea. It's great. Did he That's just amazing. say diarrhea? And, uh, uh, let I, me I, rewind I a second. I believe he may have said verbal diarrhea, but let's double check that. I want to make sure we get this right. This is awesome. And. Again, back to that word, just free. Sorry, verbal diarrhea. It's great. That's Anecdotally. And, and then Tony says it's great. It's great. It's Sorry, great verbal, diarrhea. verbal diarrhea. It's great. Thanks, Adam. I have it all the time. I recommend it to you. <laughs> Let's go back to Mr. Verbal Diarrhea himself, Tony Khan. And uh, I, I love seeing you like this. I'm so glad you're happy to be here and you're jumping right into the fire. Not only are you uh, going to be making your first ever appearance on Dynamite this Wednesday, but then the following week, uh, first of all, you're also coming to Collision, I believe, in Utah no. yes. on the 7th. So he's working both shows this week. We're going to see uh, Adam Copeland, the Rated R Superstar, Wednesday night, Dynamite in Stockton for the first time ever. And we'll see him for the first time ever on Collision this Saturday. And then... The following week, Dynamite is actually going to be on Tuesday, October 10th, for Title Tuesday. It's my birthday. It's going to be a great event. We're going to have a great time. Great, great I'm very time, excited about it. And I got the greatest birthday present great. in the world because the newest member of the AEW roster, the Rated R superstar, Mr. Adam Copeland, has requested a match on October 10th in Kansas City. And uh, it we got a little preview Brown. of that action tonight. On Wrestle Dream, based on your request, it's going to be Adam Copeland, the Rated R Superstar, versus Luchasaurus on Tuesday, October 10th in Kansas City. And Luchasaurus is... Wait, he said it was Title Tuesday. What title is that match for? The fucking Dinosaur title. Right? There's no title. Why call it Title Tuesday if there isn't a title in every match? Well, because it's Title Tuesday. What's his birthday, too? See that? He didn't say Title Tuesday. He said Title Tuesday. That's what they're going to call it. Tuesday. It's a new marketing campaign. Is a multiple-time champion, one of the toughest wrestlers in AEW. It's going to be a great debut match for you. It, it, it'll be hard. Um, <laughs> hey, what do you think of them going back and forth between kayfabe and not in kayfabe in this? I mean, obviously, when they're talking about his feelings and everything coming in there, there's elements of truth in there. When they're talking about it being a hard match against Luchasaurus... Although oh, maybe, I believe that too. Then maybe it's, it's a truth be like too. pulling teeth. Is it, Edge is going to get his dentistry degree because get a good match out of the fucking lizard without getting dropped on your head in some fashion. The big fucking bastard. He's okay with the job guys and he's great backup for Christian, but on his own in a competitive match, I would be afraid. I'd treat Edge like a Fabergé egg. I get, but yeah, it is going to be a hard match. He's going to get kicked in the head. That's my money. I'm putting my money on Luchasaurus accidentally kicks Edge right in the head. 
I, th- I think he'll err on the other side and all his shit will whiff by a foot and a half because he's going to be petrified. See the dinosaur petrified? See what I did there? All right, 10 bucks. You want? Well, now you didn't say we were going to put actual money up. Big money, 10 bucks. All right. All right. You say he knocks Edge out, I say he whiffs everything. With like 10 bucks, I can buy like a thousand shares of Podcast One. Hold on, let's go back to the audio here. Tony and Adam Copeland. But I, I've, uh, I will say Luchasaurus is a guy that I always saw and uh, saw so much potential in, in what he brings to the table. Um, it's also kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool, but that's, that's what I do. It's awesome. It's so great. <laughs> and, uh, and we can take some questions, Mandy, if you want to. You know, that's the weird dynamic. I believe Edge is genuinely excited and everything, but I also believe he laughed a little too hard at Tony's comments before it's like when you're sitting next to the boss there's a weird yeah. dynamic there where it's not completely genuine especially because it's tony but let's go when 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 everybody wants to look at the boss like he's got a mouthful of steaming turds that's the problem yeah again no one has said anything about money why are you here well tony offered me much more money than they would even <laughs> consider that's not even being said Thank we can you. get one for both of you. Okay, great. Um, lyrics went monthly peers. So, so compared to a lot of your other peers um, from your generation, you've spent most of your career in one company. Yep. So now that you're in AEW, what are one or two of those bucket list items that you're looking to accomplish, whether it's an opponent or a match type? What's something that you're really excited to do? You know, when I talked to Tony, I said, just in looking at the roster very quickly, like there's 14 names. I mean, that's just from a quick little cursory glance. But like I said, I mean, I've never faced Samoa Joe. That's really exciting to me. I've never faced or been in the same ring as John Moxley. Oh. Highly interesting to me. Claudio, never been in the ring. Like, it, There's so many different talent here that I have a lot of respect for, and I'd really like to, to feel what that is. Um, Kenny Omega, like that's never happened. I just met him. We'd never met before, you know. Um, there, there's a lot here um, to see and to to challenge myself with. And again, that's my entire life has been built on challenges. So to to look at that, oh God, a guy like me, that's just that's a steak dinner waiting to be eaten. You know, there's a lot of similarities actually between this and Jericho jumping to AEW, you know, before AEW was really a thing, in that it seems apparent WWE saw them one way and wanted to work them down the card or hold them yeah. in place while they elevated other people. And these guys are willing to invest on themselves and give this a shot. Again, millions and millions and millions of dollars, more than they would get from WWE. But still, it's a big chance. And WWE does not, I mean, it's what WWE did to Hogan in 93, technically. You know, they were going to work him down the card, yeah. put him in a tag team of Brutus Beefcake. So what, what do you think of that? Just the idea that, you know, beyond leaving WWE, this is also leaving WWE's way of seeing you. Well, the thing is, you can't blame them, the WWE being them. In the case of Hogan... They did want to move him down because it had been 10 years and he would have never meant 
Hogan would have never meant in WWF again what he meant in WCW and then going back to WWF. How can we miss you if you won't go away? A different look and a different environment. I don't know that Edge is at the point now where he's going to invigorate his career by going to AEW for a couple of years and then going back. I think this is, you know, because he's older now than Hogan was then, right? In 93. I mean, he's older now than, I mean, Flair was this age at the end of the 90s. I mean, it's crazy when you really try to put in perspective the age of 49 in wrestling now, how it's a shrug. And maybe a long time ago it was, but for a couple of decades there, your career was going down by that point. He's 49. We may be getting off topic here, but in the territories, you could always stay fresh. And as long as you weren't injured or so old that you just couldn't do anything, you could go from place to place and stay much longer. When it became national, then there was the problem with guys. Right. Staying so long and being in the public eye in the same audience so long. And that's, you know, what led to sameness and malaise. And now there's a million fucking people, but they haven't made any stars in 20 years. So the older guys that are late 40s, early 50s, whatever, now are still names much larger than many of the younger guys. How old was Johnny Valentine in the plane crush? He, Johnny Valentine was either the same age as Edge or a year older, and he was still one of the biggest stars in the business. Yeah, and again, kept it fresh. He had just come to the Mid-Atlantic a few years earlier, and it changed yeah. everything. How old was Wrestling 2 in 84 when you worked with him? Um, Johnny Walker had to be in his mid-50s at that point. And again, he was wearing a mask, so even though he looked old with the mask on, you didn't even get to see how old he truly looked. Well, that's the thing is that Johnny Walker, because he went bald and just had that face, had looked old when he was young. And then when he put the mask on, the body never really changed. You couldn't tell. Well, let's go back to Edge talking to the wrestling media. I don't know how I feel about the wrestling media or whoever was giving him a standing ovation or an applause when he came into yeah. the room and <laughs> announced that he signed a contract. That's not really the media's job, but let's go to that, this. That's, that's part of what they, they have to do that to get admission to the room. Go ahead. Emily May with Sports Heat of Wrestling. Hi. So everyone was so excited, the fan reaction to have you debut tonight. And what I would love to know is how did these conversations begin? And what can we look forward to, not only perhaps in ring, but also will you be helping out backstage perhaps in developing AW talent or creating storylines? Um, Storyline. I've always been a person that enjoys that process in terms of being heavily involved in the creative process and the direction of storylines, helping add little things. But those little things, when you put them together, they start to weigh a lot. Um, I love that. I love detail, um, attention to detail and, and just the little nuances. I, I love that. Uh, you know, I watch movies and I just, uh, oh, why'd they make that choice? I used to follow directors around and they'd be so annoyed. I'm like, why are you making that choice? Why are we turning around here? Why are we getting this angle? I'd go to the DOP, go, well, what's going on here? What's going on with this lighting? I'm just fascinated. Um, it's part of why I fell in love with this industry uh, is the storytelling element of it. 
you know, it's a form of art and that's how I've always looked at it. And now it's an even more nuanced form of art, uh, because it's such more, it's so much more detailed and the audience is so much more intelligent. So you have to work to that intelligence. And I, let me stop it there. That's a very interesting comment. The audience is so much more intelligent. You have to work towards the intelligence. If you're just talking about how smart they are to the wrestling business, what do you think of that? Well, yeah, that's the the problem there is they have a bunch of smart marks asking them smart questions and they're booking their business for the only fans they have, which are smart marks. They don't care what the normal people think because the, the normal people, there is no attention to detail. None of this shit makes any sense. That's what we're talking we are now normal people, Brian, because we watched wrestling when it was for normal people and had to make sense. And you didn't have to appeal to the smart fans who were verklempt because the fucking buggy whip armed fucking 170 pound guy that could do the great drop kick wouldn't get used, getting used over the fucking star that sold the tickets. And now none of this shit makes sense to a normal person. So the attention to detail that he is wanting to bring, I don't know if they know how to fucking do that over there because they're not in any way trying to make this real, which was the overriding directive of pro wrestling for a hundred years. That's why everything mostly made sense if you could control it and people understood it and wanted to go see it. Now it's for the learned marks, the intelligent wrestling marks that just want to see goddamn a choreographed, synchronized floor routine performed flawlessly, and that to them is seven stars. And meanwhile, none of this shit looks fucking real to the to the average person, or you can't get caught up in it because they're all fucking trying to be actors and dramatic fucking performers instead of goddamn wrestlers mad at each other wanting to fucking fight there's the problem absolutely plan to be helping out whoever wants help whoever comes and talks to me i am an open book um and my 31 years of experience if you want to tap into that i am always i'm a phone call i'm a text i'm a come talk to me face to face away that's always been how i've been um so, you know, there, there were guys like I had a group of seven people and I'd FaceTime with them an hour a day to help them find their voice in promos. I love doing that stuff. Um, so that. What do you think of that? He has a FaceTime group with seven different people and he spends an hour a day with them teaching them how to do promos. I'd like to know who they are. And and to see if they because they probably have been helped. Edge can talk. He's he's not only done promos for all those years, but he's done the acting roles where you do pick up some things that you can apply to wrestling. He was talking about production aspects. It's always good to ask questions like that. That's what MJF was doing in MLW even. Why well, I knew he was going to be uh, a, a force to be reckoned with. So I'd like to know, but eh, nothing wrong with that. But eh, I think that the person that needs to go be reading Edge's open book and talk to him on a regular basis and FaceTime or whatever with him is Tony, because it all revolves around Tony. If you hire 
the greatest Shakespearean actor in the world and you give him a movie script or a play script written by a goddamn eighth grader, how good can it be? So I love that Edge wants to work with the young guys if they'll take the advice and criticism and if he can figure out a way to work it into the show, will he be as demanding as Punk was? Will he say, we don't do that shit on a show I'm on because I don't want to look stupid? Or will he just be, well, I'll give these guys suggestions and I'll worry about my segment and Tony's writing the show, so it's going to be what it's going to be. There is the question. I don't think anyone is as... Um... Demanding? Well, Punk doesn't necessarily have the tact that other people will try to use to try you to You don't need maneuver. tact in wrestling. I'm not saying you do. I'm saying everyone else tries to pussyfoot around things. You need tact, maybe at church, or maybe at the grocery store so it doesn't erupt into a goddamn free-for-all. There is no tact in wrestling. There's do this, like this. And if you do it good and make it better, I'm going to put you in a main event. If you don't do it like I say and it looks like shit, I'm going to fire you. That's not tactful. That's just common sense. That's part of what I think I bring to the table when, when I come here. And, uh, and honestly, that, that was one of the things, one of the really pivotal things beside my daughter telling me that I should go be with Uncle Jay and have fun. Um, that... I thought I could really try and help here. And in turn, that helps the entire wrestling industry, which is the thing that I just love. Uh, second behind my, my wife and my kids. You know, that's what I worry about. CM Punk went in there with the same thoughts. He was going to help people. It was going to be fun. And he came out of it richer. But in terms of reputation, in terms of frustration, in terms of everything else, he came out of it for the worse. It wasn't fun. You know, that's the one thing. He has that first day excitement. You know, Soraya had a big pop that first night. Miro had a big pop his first. You know, everyone does. Hopefully they can sustain it, at least his excitement. It's nice to see him this excited. And you hope Well, the, the good thing is they can't... You can, Edge, Adam Copeland can't just disappear for weeks at a time. They have to feature him, and Tony's acknowledged that. So it's not like they'll, you know, just put him in the deep freeze like they have other people. And, you know, Tony brought up earlier how great this was. This is amazing. This is great. This is, I think he also said it was awesome. And we have a way you could deliver a box of awesome to yourself. Well, someone else will deliver it. You can order it. You can receive and enjoy a box of awesome today. You, Isn't that right, you, Jim? You, you can receive it. You can purchase it. You can spend not very much money on it. You can't deliver it to yourself. That'll be taken care of. But if you want awesome in your box, well, boy, it's going to be. Imagine that. Imagine in these trying times, you've got something to look forward to every month. That's when the mailman or the delivery person comes up to your door, beats on it with a club, and when you open the door, throws this box right in your face. And it's a box of awesome courtesy of our friends at boxofawesome.com. I just got my newest one. Did you get it? What was in it? Uh, hold on, I have it right here. This is from, this is Stealth. It is a sideliner pocket knife from Bear and Son Cutlery. 
or cutlery. Cut, 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 color, cutlery? Cutlery, excuse me. This is actually a beautiful knife, and it handles really well in the hand. This is a really nice knife. It handles very nice in the hand. You've gotten a lot of knives from Box of Awesome. Should we be concerned about you? Let's move on here. It also has the Ultimate 7 you, in one. You said one. It's, it's the Slash the slash Kit? It is the Stealth Kit. Again, maybe you stealth have too many kit. knives. Well, no, there's a slash kit. The knife in the slash box is made by Bare Bones based in Salt Lake City. Oh, that's a different company. No, and I also got here the Ultimate 7-in-1 Tool Pen from Jack Zaguri Designs. This is actually really cool. There's a bunch of things I could do with this. And finally, a money clip and a key capsule from Craig Hill. One word, Craig Hill. Money clip. I can think of a few things you can do with that. What, a key capsule? You you put your keys in that and then take it like a uh, like a pill. What a key capsule? I don't think that's what it is. What is a key capsule? A key capsule is. Uh, let me open this. It's a capsule. How do I open this? Do I need scissors? <laughs> Hold on. Oh, no, here we go. Oh, here we go. Here we go. You don't mean the actual. You're opening the packaging now. This is the the opening of the box of awesome. Well, I opened the box already. I'm opening the key capsule. It's a little capsule you could put. I don't know if my key would fit in here, but you could hide other things in here, or you could place other things in here. You could <laughs> wait and keep it on yourself if you need to uh, have things that you have put in a covert location handy. Ah. And, and, and is it uh is does this stand up to the pressure of body cavity searches? I wonder this secretive thing that you've got there? Oh, it is like a little plug. I don't know. Depends where you put it. A little plug. Well, I'll give you a little plug because everything that comes from boxofawesome.com, or at least 90% of it, is from a small and up-and-coming brand. They're supporting small businesses, and they've got a great variety. You don't have to just be Jack the Ripper to want to get a box of awesome. They've got all kinds of things. They've got Oh, the Damascus steel knife by Buck and Bear Knives in Pennsylvania and the gut hook knife in the trail box made by Titan International located in Illinois. But they've got the American barbecue rub in the carnivore box from the Great American Spice Company in Rockford, Michigan. They've got the multi-tool from SOG, a company with deep roots in the U.S. military. And they've got hot sauces from small brands all over the country, Texas, Nevada, California. They've got the cask package, which is a barrels handcrafted from American white oak. They've been charred to create a smokier <laughs> cocktail. What's the name of that one? American white oak. No, what's the name of the package? Oh, the cask. The cask. Oh, cask. C-A-S-K. I thought you said the cast package. I have that package already. It's where your money disappears. Yeah, no. That, that, we've, we've got his package, too, in our grip right now. <laughs> um, they've got hand-blown Italian crystal glass. They've got amazing things. Uh, the Weekender bag that we got, metal hardware, reinforced frame, quality leather straps. You don't know. There could be anything in these boxes. All you got to do is go to boxofawesome.com and take a little quiz what you're interested in. If you're not interested in knives, they don't want to send you 15 knives, but they've got camping gear essentials, cozy threads, everything from the best small brand. They're teeny weeny little brands. Sometimes you need a microscope to see them, but they do good stuff. They're regular sized and they are just maybe small companies producing great stuff. Either that or it's a bunch of midgets that have gone into business for themselves. 
This and pen, regardless of what, this pen is so cool. Listen to this: it's a ballpoint pen, a touchscreen stylus, a spirit level, so you can you know level things if you're hanging them on the wall, inches and centimeter rulers, Phillips head and flathead screwdriver. This is a really nice pen, and this knife. This is one of the nicest knives. Does it come with a death ray? No, but you know, there's always next month. Well, there you go. There's always ne if you don't get your death ray this month, you might get it next month, folks, because right now you go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code JCE at checkout and get 20% off your first box. 20% off your first box at boxofawesome.com with the code JCE. How can you beat that? Because already you're only paying a fraction of the price the box is worth. Then you get 20% off. Now, if you're, say, you're only paying 30% of what the thing is worth, and then you get 20% off of that, now you're down to 10%. Well, if you add in 5% for shipping and 7% for insurance, then you're at 22%. And that is below the federally mandated percentage that, uh, that you have to pay before you consider that you've got a good deal because the good deal bar is now set at 28%. What? I hope I've made myself clear. I have no idea what you just said. Well, that's why you just got to go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code JCE at checkout for 20% off and wait and see what comes to you. That's right. Box of Awesome. I have to say, this is maybe the most awesome box I've gotten from them. So this knife is one of the... Baron Son is the name of the company. All right. And if you do see Brian Last out on the street, stay far away from him, especially if he's got his hands in his pockets. I'll slice you up. I'll cut you from asshole to appetite. I'll cut you three ways, long, wide, deep, and repeatedly. That's four. Metaphorically speaking, of course. Metaphorically speaking. Box of awesome. Dot com. Code JCE. Well, let's go uh, back to uh, the end of the awesome Adam Copeland. That could have been a nickname for him. Talking to Keith Elliott Greenberg here. We can do a few more, I think. Yeah, I'm on a roll. Yeah, he's on fire. <laughs> Hello again. Hello uh, again. Keith Elliott Greenberg with Inside the Ropes magazine. You mentioned that you were here Friday night. Now, there's a lot of people in this room who I think, had there been an Adam Copeland sighting, they would not have been able to contain themselves from tweeting about it. How did you manage to keep yourself scarce? <laughs> oh, man, I was sequestered. I, I sequestered myself in a hotel room. Um, so we're, we're, I mean, we were in some sketchy neighborhoods, like Darby took us to some, some sketchy places. Like ain't nobody here going to worry about like Adam Copeland being here kind of thing. Right. So, um, nobody saw us. And then I, uh, I went to my hotel room and I just like sneak out to get food. And this one kid, bless his heart. I'm at this burger joint and I just really wanted a cheeseburger. Cause I hadn't eaten for 14 hours and I was like, I just, I just want to get a cheeseburger. So I'm in there. Is he stealing your bit? He's stealing my gimmick. And I'm sitting there, I'm reading my book. Cause I bring a book book everywhere when I eat. And I looked up and he went, oh. I went okay. Okay. And that was it. That was the, the only time that I had that encounter. Cause the rest of the time I was like, you know, hoodie and all that. So, um, so yeah, that's what, that's what happened. I was out in Redmond. See, that that sounds like sloppy kayfabe to me. What do you mean? Going in and sitting and eating in a burger place in the town in which you're making a surprise? Now, Brian, who besides me has done more 
surprise entrances into a promotion where nobody knew it ahead of time. Did it in WCW in 93 and the WWF in 93. ECW in 97. Did it in ECW in 97? Did it Ring of Honor in fucking 2000 and what was that? Nine. No, you... And you love cheeseburgers, so what do you do? I go to the drive-thru. What if he didn't have a car? Why wouldn't he have a fucking car? He's a grown adult man. Someone drives him to the hotel. He's going to stay and sequester himself in the hotel. He's not going to leave. I don't, I don't know why he's not calling room service. I never or trusted DoorDash. anybody. I did my own fucking travel arrangements. I got to the town myself. I picked my own hotel and I went my own way and I didn't fucking goddamn uh, uh, have myself seen in broad daylight on the streets. And when I got to the building hours early, in the case of WCW, um, in 93, me and, and uh, Stan and, and Tom and Bobby Eaton hid in a closet or a janitor's room of some description in center stage. I was at the hotel next door to the Manhattan Center in Ring of Honor in the WWF. Me and the bodies flew rented our car and drove to Alexandria Bay, New York and showed up at the goddamn building way before fans were hanging around. There's ways to do it, but you can't just be going out willy nilly and shooting muscle car videos and going to get cheeseburgers and sitting down and eating for heaven's sake. Well, again, the video is one thing if it's late at night or overnight and it's in you know, skid row. There's a chance you can get away skid with that. Skid row. Now, we're not talking about them. And besides that, Flop Dollar just got fired. But when you're hungry and you want a hamburger or a cheeseburger and you're in your hotel and you're not supposed to see anyone, he went to the place and someone saw him. At least one person he knows saw him. Yes. Do you even worry about, like, the person delivering the food? If you're going to order room service or if you're going to order from, you know, nowadays DoorDash or Uber Eats or something? Are you worried that that person will recognize you and go out and tweet something? That may very well happen. That's why I'm saying you go to the drive-thru, keep your head down. Limited interaction. Hi, my name's Amanda from WrestleTalk.com. Oh, come on. Fine, thank you. How are you? What's your problem? What the, what the fuck is she, six? Well, she's from WrestleTalk.com. She just has they a very... Have children now that work for their their uh, organization that they're asking questions. That is, isn't that past her bedtime anyway, this media scrum? It's got to be one in the morning. Well, again, this was on the West Coast, but maybe she just has a high-pitched voice. Let's go back to her question. <laughs> you sound excited. I am. <laughs> um, so I've been authorized to ask this question. Um, I'm not asking anything about contracts or anything of the like, but my favorite version of Adam Copeland is when he's with his lovely wife. Is there any chance that we might see you together here? Or is that something that you'd like to do in the future again? I, I mean, any let me stop it there. That is really interesting just because this is a unique situation where a husband and a wife both have pre-existing relationships with WWE. That could create yeah, some I'm, issues, right? I'm still, I'm still going back to the questioner there and, and thinking, you know, who's next? Is it going to be Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters after this incisive journalist question? But that's one of the reasons why I was questioning whether Edge would want to pull the trigger on going and doing this or not, because it's not just him. It's him and his wife that have had this 20-year relationship with the WWE. They're still 
highly in in the the mix as far as Beth just worked what last year doing the thing with Edge. They've got opportunities for legends, deals, appearances. I don't know whether she's in the Hall of Fame or not. And so it had to be not only millions of dollars, but it had to be in case anything happens to AEW. Nobody said how long the contract is that Adam signed. Is it's a year, two years, three years? He had to get the money guaranteed from Tony's father, if, if AEW is not around, I still get this money because he's excommunicating himself and Beth from the company for however long and potentially with the new owners. This is the, they buy the company and he says, fuck it, I'm gone and I'm on the other channel a week later. Are they going to be as easy to deal with as it might have been when? the AEW thing's over in whatever fashion, and Edge might want to come back and do something in the way of appearances or something to do with the wrestling industry at the, and get paid a lot of money for that. That's why I'm saying I didn't... I don't know whether a guy that... It, both he and his wife have been with the company for so long want to make that move just for a year or two and maybe piss him off for the rest of existence, but that's just me. Anytime I get to to be close to Beth, obviously I'm gonna you know be pretty, like super excited about that. I, I don't know about the possibilities of that in the foreseeable, um, but I you know I just I love being around her, obviously, um, and uh, and and we've had a blast when we did get to work together. Um, but where she will be uh, instrumental without anyone knowing it is she's my sounding board. So if you've seen me do something or you see something that you think worked, it was always bounced off Beth. And then she always gives me better ideas back. Um, it's kind of amazing to be married to a Hall of Famer. She went to OVW. Who, who can suplex you? Well, of course she did. <laughs> Good training. That's, I why, guess. that's why her ideas are so much better. Um, and yeah, and that's a, and I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, Cornette, you've told the WWF to piss off before and you quit WCW and blah, blah, blah. Well, at that point, to be quite perfectly honest, they were not paying me millions of dollars a year to fucking show up part-time. And I didn't have to fucking... <laughs> Edge was not having to sit in a room or a car with shit stain and Vince McMahon on a regular basis. And he's making a lot of money to work a day a week, maybe? Well, you, so, I you, you do know what it's like, though, to walk out because you're not happy with creatively what they are doing with you and what they're going to do with you. I mean, when you left Oli in 1990, yeah. I mean, you had no, you didn't have any faith in them at that point at all. So you left, and right. again, you're a bit more vocal than Edge would be in a situation but I, like that. But I was, I wasn't making millions. I was making 150 grand, and I was having to work every goddamn day and be around these people all the fucking time. Well, that's a good point, and that was the audio we're going to play from Edge. He was also asked about his theme song, mentioned he has a pre-existing relationship with the band so he could use that song wherever he goes. The next person to come into the room, Jim, was MJF, but the first thing he did, apparently, was reply to this tweet here. I have a tweet here that was sent on October 1st by Brian Alvarez. <clears throat> Max wins the handicap match, a gimmick from start to finish, but the fans ate it up. 
particularly when he hit the big body slam hold prior to the finish. So again, I'm reading that just to give you some context going into MJF here. Let's well, and, and I was about to say that's pretty much a brief description of what happened. Let's go to this. And as I said, we were off to a great start, and it started with an amazing tag team title defense from a great champion. Here he is. Jewish Ultimo Dragon. Hold on. Yeah. Way too many belts. <laughs> Jewish Ultimo Dragon. Okay. That's what I'm doing with them. That's okay. Um, right off the whip, I just wanted to say something very quick, very quickly. Um, let's have a conversation. Uh, you said that the match was incredible, but it was a gimmick match. And I would like to, no, no, no. I didn't tell you to speak, uh, very quickly. <laughs> here's what I'm going to say. I feel professional wrestling for an incredibly long time went South. In my opinion, I think people decided that they needed to absolutely murder themselves or their opponents, not even considering trying to get a win. All they were considering was trying to get a cheap pop or a cheap reaction. Uh, what I'm trying to do is bring back a flavor of ice cream that I love and dare I say is just as much professional wrestling as most certainly is not a gimmick. And that is to make people so emotionally invested in the person that is inside the squared circle that if they hit a body slam or a headlock takeover or a kangaroo kick, it gets just as loud of a reaction as Darby Allen getting thrown onto the steel stairs, which was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I am not faulting you. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. All I am simply saying is nothing I do is a gimmick. Um, I believe that professional wrestling in all shapes and sizes is important, and it's all different flavors of ice cream. But I also believe, to me, for my two cents, if you can do what I do and get that reaction, I think it's much harder, actually, than doing a triple indie, whatever the fuck. Obviously, they're going to clap. It's insane. Uh, can you make them absolutely freak out and have a damn near panic attack? When you do little to nothing to me, that is professional wrestling and everybody's thoughts on what pro wrestling is, is different. And I am really, 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 really proud of all the flavors of ice cream that we showed on tonight's card. I think this, well, let me stop it there for a second. Yeah. Cause he hit some big points there. Well, and let me jump in. And apparently this is the, I don't know the, the reason why the generations can't speak. Because apparently Alvarez was saying it was a gimmick from start to finish, like that was a bad thing. And MJF feels the need to defend what he did. No, I said that was a pretty much a brief description of what it was because it was, and I would have said the same thing, and that's a good thing. If I'd have said that, it would have been comp, which I did. It was complimenting it. I hated the booking that Tony's such a fucking imbecile that he puts the most talented guy on the roster and his world heavyweight champion in a goddamn situation where he has to have a handicap match with two job guys for a fucking secondary tag team title belt. And the whole reason why they've got those belts is that it was working with him and Adam Cole, and now Cole has crippled himself again. But MJF is the only smart motherfucker on the roster because he worked a match telling the people what they wanted to see, and then making them want to see it, and then giving it to them. That is wrestling. MJF's exactly right. The fact that it wasn't two main event guys and it wasn't a match that drew any fucking money whatsoever is not MJF's fault, it's Tony's fault. But that's the weirdness that 
that MJF feels the need that he has to apologize for having really the only match on the show that did exactly what it was supposed to fucking do. And that Alvarez thinks that it being a gimmick match was bad. You know, it all goes back to what is pro wrestling when you're a kid and you're first told by someone on the schoolyard or your dad or whatever that it's fake. You're led to believe that they work together and don't hurt each other, but they get injuries in what they're doing. Now they hurt each other. Yes. Now they hurt each other. And the comparison he brought up, he didn't even bring up like a Young Bucks flipping or Ray Phoenix flopping, whatever it may be. Darby getting thrown onto those stairs, which looked brutal. Yeah, because it was. And again, MJF got the people to go crazy for a body slam. And the kangaroo kick is stupid as I think it is. And I don't like it. And I wish he didn't do it. The fans are popping for it. He's doing, he looks like he's in good shape here at this press scrum. <laughs> Barely any sweat on him. Everyone else is coming out there beat up. It's because people are into him and not just waiting to see him do a goddamn cool move. This is quite possibly one of, if not the best pay-per-views we've ever done. And what's absolutely insane is, first of all, beyond proud that I get to say that I'm the AEW world champion, there's no grandest prize in the sport. But to be able to say that and be the top dog when this roster is, quite frankly, an embarrassment of riches is insane. Um, it is He's using insane too much. That's like five times. Yeah, well, and also now we've switched over into... Apparently, I need to keep Tony Khan happy because I'm sitting pretty good right now, and uh, I'm not going to do anything to piss him off. Was he also speaking the way the babyface world champion should be speaking next to the boss? <sighs> yeah, I guess, but at the same point, he's hurting his credibility. when he blames, Oh, this is one of the greatest pay-per-views ever, and we've got so much talent. You got a lot of guys, ain't a lot of talent. He said an embarrassment of riches. Should he have stopped that embarrassment? That's what I was going to say, but it was, the line was so obvious, I figured I, I won't even go there. It was absolutely insane, the amount of just, in, listen, uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a company guy, but what I will say is I'm, I'm a pro wrestler, um, and I care about pro wrestling, uh, and I'm definitely pro wrestler's first kind of guy, and I feel like AEW, as a locker room, has never been healthier, never been better, never been more talented, never been more driven, and never been more hungry. And like I said, I'm proud to be a leader of that. That's awesome. All right, we'll stop, awesome. with, we'll stop with Tony's endorsement there of uh, what MJF had to say. We're going to move on from MJF because he's babyface MJF, so he's not cursing at the media anymore. I was about to say, this, it used to be the, the highlight of the thing, and now he's being nice, and it's not any fun. What do you think of him in the role, though? Despite the fact that we miss him as the heel MJF, and we're not talking about the comedy segments or anything, just him talking straight like this, because it's a different way we've heard him speak publicly. What do you think? Well, it's kind of what he has to do now with the position he's been put in. And unfortunately, because of the, the nature of AEW, he was always from the start going to, the fans were always going to turn him babyface eventually because he was the best promo and the most intriguing personality. And we talked about it a couple of years ago when they were trying to force him to be a babyface way before it's time. You know, he he was natural because he was the best at what he did 
at that particular thing. Now, you know, I guess it's got to be that way, but we will in the problem is when a guy gets over, the only reason that MJF is over now as a, the top babyface is because he was the top heel. And as long as they have the same audience, which it doesn't look like that's going to change, then they will remember the heel MJF and he'll still stay over as a babyface. But if you were to get new fans now who had not seen any of the MJF heel stuff, they would wonder, and he wouldn't have as, as impactful, I don't think, a, 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 an impact on those people because his babyfaceness is based on him being your, our scumbag now, rather than a scumbag. And the people are, well, why, he's the devil? Should we? It's confusing if you don't know the backstory. So I think for the next year or so, he'll be fine. And then by the time that, since they'll probably not get any new fans anyway because of their product. But if they do get new fans, by the time that people start murmuring about MJF, well, we don't really get why he's such a smart-ass babyface. He's going to be in the WWE making twice as much money anyway, and he'll be a the heel. goddamn biggest star there, and he'll be a heel. He will, he will definitely be a heel when he goes to the WWE. They're not insane or jealous, either one. Do you think MJF's being used well right now? Are you out of your mind? He's the world champion doing phony comedy videos and buddy comedies and defending a secondary tag team title in the opening match on a pay-per-view. Who's his money opponent? Punk left. Joe is apparently settled. Jay White. Danielson's been done. Yeah, like I said, who's his money opponent? He's about to wrestle Jay White. Who's his money opponent? Who's the main event of the pay-per-view? How is the, the, the next hot program for the world title going to play out? Somebody needs to go ahead and fucking set fire to Adam Cole and get some heat with MJF so we can get something started. Because the, the thing is now, whatever they were going to do with the tag team, they can't do it now. And yes, it was over. But how over is it going to be if we continue to see MJF saying, don't worry, Adam, while he's sitting in a wheelchair, I'll make sure we have these belts in six or nine months when you're back from all these surgeries. It's over. Figure, refigure it. Shit happens. Get out of it. Unfortunately, I think that's in a lot of ways the story of MJF's career. A lot of things that seemed to be about to happen, shit changed real quick, like the stuff with Punk and All Out. You know, about yeah. the work Punk and MJF. That all had to change, but we'll see what happens. Perhaps, Jim, watching this, listening to this, maybe you could watch this, but listen to an old MJF promo <laughs> or an old MJF media scrum appearance using your Raycon earbuds. What you're saying is you just want to listen to what you want to listen to rather than what we have to listen to in the course of our employment here. And that you, you need to set your own soundtrack. That's what you need to do. You need to listen to the things that you want to listen to when you want to listen to them. And the perfect way to do that, as you mentioned, is with the Raycon wireless earbuds. And did you know, Brian, that Raycon is celebrating 
an anniversary. They are six years old, and that's 42 years in human years. So in very the very short period of time of only six years, they've made a name for themselves in the premium audio space. You know where that space is, don't you, Brian? The that's premium? right in the premium audio space. No, I don't know. It's right in the holes in your ears. Oh. That's where the everyday earbuds are not just everyday, but they're special because they deliver high-quality audio and thoughtful features like a 32-hour battery life and a perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort at half the price of other premium audio brands. And yeah, again, let's say, for example, you're walking down the street and you're listening to your favorite tunes, but suddenly you see a bread truck bearing down on you. Well, you can hit the button because they got the awareness mode, so you can hear the horn right before you get run over. No, you're not going to get run over. Why, why are you walking in the middle of the road where there's well, a Well, I don't truck? know, but Raycon can't babysit you. If you're going to walk down the middle of a busy street, they can't do anything about it. Don't do that, ladies and gentlemen. Don't do that. Stay on the sidewalk or maybe the grass if there is no sidewalk, but... Yeah, go touch some grass. Awareness mode would help you in other situations that are not life-threatening. Well, people love to be aware of things. That's right. And, and these let's are say, for example, yeah, if you're walking by, you know, down Wall Street, you punch the awareness mode, and suddenly you're aware of all the stock prices. Nope. It just, Again. It, it, you've got to be in the vicinity, though. You have to be a half a mile or less from things you want to be aware of. That doesn't exactly work, and you shouldn't expect it to work, ladies and gentlemen, whether you're on Wall Street or Main Street or whatever street it may be, maybe Gum Alley, but the Raycon What earbuds? about the Boulevard of Broken Dreams? Because so many people, have their lives are there littered in the gutter, but Raycon- Is that Hollywood Boulevard? On. Hollywood Boulevard, the yeah. Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Sunset Boulevard even. Ah. Or possibly, you never know, Blanket Baker Parkway. It could be anything. But Raycon, being six years old, well, they've outlasted all of that because of the quiet. As a matter of fact, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home. So you can buy a home from Raycon. And Raycon Power Tech. They don't have homes. You can buy powerful tech from Raycon. No. And to thank everybody who's shown them support in the past six long, hard years, Raycon is right now offering 20% off everything on the site and select products up to 40% off. Can you remember, Brian, have we ever been able to get a deal for our listeners and viewers and cult members of 40% off? I don't think so. That's extraordinary. That's a large number. Would you like me to do some more math about it? No, I would not. All right. Well, in that case, then, folks, you do the math and decide that you got to save this money. And go right now to buy Raycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash J-C-E and use the code BIRTHDAY to get 20 to 40% off site-wide. Buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, 20 to 40% off depending on what you're getting. Use the code BIRTHDAY because that's what they're having. Six years old. Well, they'll be smoking and drinking in no time over at Raycon. Well, Jim, I don't know how much awareness mode will work as we continue to go through this AEW media scrum. I don't know how much awareness or self-awareness there is from some people in that room. But something a lot of listeners were talking about, Jim, was Christian Cage's appearance at the press scrum. Now, let's get going with this. It starts right away with him getting a question from Brian Alvarez. I thought they were working together. 
but a lot of people thought that he was really putting down Alvarez. Let's see what you think. Okay. To the four-year anniversary, and speaking of main events, the winner of tonight's Wrestle Dream main event, here is the TNT champion, Mr. Christian Cage. Did they turn the applause sign on late? I don't need your lame applause. I know how good I am. Questions for the champion? None. Can I go then? God. Hi, Mark Hill. What's up, Mark Hill? 101.5 FM, Kate on Las Vegas. Your old friend showed up tonight. What were you thinking? I said this in the last scrum. I don't have any friends other than Luchasaurus. Was it a surprise to see him? Yes. Did I care? Not really. Doesn't change anything for me. I'm still the face of TNT. I'm still the TNT champion. I'm still the man to beat in AEW. You understand that, right? That a few short months ago, people were saying this title meant nothing. And I've taken it. And I main evented Wrestle Dream tonight with it. I made this title. This title, in my opinion, is more prestigious than the world title, mainly because I carry it. But I think my track record speaks for itself. And I think you have to give me my flowers now. Do you not? All right, let's stop it there for a second. He doesn't talk to Brian Alvarez yet. I, I read the notes wrong. What do you think of Christian? What do you think of his general tone? What do you think? I mean, a lot of people were raving about it, and there's elements of it I really like, but when you've seen a guy talk for 25 years and all of a sudden they're completely different, is that really good or is that just acting? I think, honestly, he's being a professional here, a professional wrestler, because he's being asked after main eventing the pay-per-view and having that long match to stay up until two o'clock in the morning or however long these things go to talk to a bunch of fucking marks. There's no journalists here. It's a bunch of people applauding everybody that comes in and asking, how do you feel about something? What are your feelings on this? So at least he's acting like a God and acting can be acting or just the way you comport yourself. He's acting like a professional wrestler. And not coming out there going, oh, I love playing with my friends. And we did so many cool videos the night before the show. He sounds like a pro wrestler and a professional athlete and an obnoxious dick. And all of those things are good and refreshing in this environment. Well, speaking of obnoxious dicks, let's go back to Christian Cage. <laughs> it's Brian from the Wrestling Observer. Oh, when boy. did you... Uh... Great, like talking to Marks. When did you first see Nick Wayne wrestle? And what were your thoughts when you saw that first match? I've never seen Wait a minute, stop it here. Yep. Stop it here. Oh, well, hold on. I clicked the wrong thing. There we go. So, again, Uncle Dave's mouth organ, Brian Alvarez, gets in the room, and the first thing he asks is a question about his friend from next county over, good old Nick Wayne, instead of anything about the fucking main event between Christian and Darby. Nick Wayne was involved, but let's get the fucking meat of the matter here first. All right, I'm well, sorry. The only thing, though, is if you know the guy is working, and there's a difference in tone that we've heard so far between Christian and MJF and Edge, Adam Copeland, not that they weren't saying things that were 
part of the work in the way they were saying things. But this is a little different. I mean, again, I don't know why Alvarez is asking this question, but it's not like he could say, so how much is Tony paying you? You're not going to get anything from Christian when he's in this mood or not. Well, mood. he ought to try. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. When you know that the guy's out there doing his, he, he's continuing his thing during the media scrum. What do you feed him? Do you play into it? Should you sit back? What do you do? I would think that he would say, you just nearly killed Darby Allen if he gets out of the hospital and manages to recover from the beating you gave him. Do you think he deserves another rematch, or are you done with him? Are you moving on to greener pastures? Not, hey, and my buddy Nick Wayne. All right, I don't care. Well, let's go back to Christian Cage. Do you wrestle? <laughs> Thank you. Do you wrestle? No. You don't wrestle? I did back in the day. But... I'm sure you sucked, which is why you're here asking me questions. <laughs> I wrestled his father. But what, you can, did you give a star rating tonight? Did you give me I a really not cool give a star, star rating? rating? I did not give a star rating. So what's the question again? I was wondering what you, what you thought when you first saw Nick Wayne wrestle. But you said you never saw him I've wrestle. never seen him wrestle. Okay. Well, thank you. I know he's a good boy, though. He is a good boy. He was a little bit lost. Yeah. But he found his way tonight. And I will guide him to greatness. I will groom him to take over one day everything that's mine. Nick is a fine boy. I see a lot of potential in him. I didn't need to see him wrestle to know how good he is, to know his potential. He's wise beyond his years, young Nick Wayne. All right, let's stop it there. So a lot of fans thought that this was legitimately him giving Alvarez shit. I thought it was clearly two guys in different ways working with each other, but there's no personal issue at all. What do you think? No, I mean, they're working. I think that Christian is working his gimmick. And he wasn't going to give any smart answers because he doesn't believe in that shit, apparently, and good for him. And he's out there doing what he's supposed to be doing. I don't think that he and Alvarez came up with that and wrote it down and said, okay, this is what we're going to perform. I think that Christian just is being a fucking heel and took the question, did what he did with it. I don't think he particularly cares about hurting Alvarez's feelings, but I don't think he was... I don't think that was indicative of uh, Christian hates Alvarez more than the average person that he hates. Well, let's hear more of the heel media scrum work of Christian. Cage, that is. JC from Happy Sports. Christian, you just said that you were going to mold Nick Wayne. Is it more on the other end? Are you brainwashing Nick Wayne? Brainwashing? I'm just telling that you. That was a truth. decent question. See, that, I mean, again, though, that's a question that's kind of feeding into what's happening storyline-wise. Is that what you think yeah. should be happening here? Yeah, because that's what you're going to get, and that's what the issue is. And if this is a... See, here's the thing. Tony Khan is setting these whole things up because he likes them, and they're fun, and he gets to host them. Yeah, he but likes he, the attention he gets. And he him. likes the attention. Yeah, there yeah. is fun and the attention he gets to host it. He's Here's all my toys out talking to you people because of me, whatever. They're useless to begin with because all these people in the room are going to cover the goddamn promotion and everything it does regardless of what. So it's to make Tony feel good. But if Christian can go out there and show some people how to fucking 
do uh, be a heel or a baby face and stay in gimmick and stay in 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 within the bounds of the story and what you're doing then at least maybe he's given him an example but otherwise I think he's probably just pissed off he has to stay up until two o'clock in the morning instead of going back to the hotel and trying to find some food Nick knows the truth when he hears it I'm champion I'm sitting here as the man in AEW I'm the most talked about wrestler in this company why would Nick Wayne not want my guidance. Do you have an answer for that? You didn't answer my question. You didn't answer my question. You're just telling me an opinion. Anybody have an intelligent question? (laughs) See, I got to say, this is like the best work of his career here at at this media scrub. He's doing a good job here. See, some people, you can kind of let them do their own thing, and it turns out good. Hi, Omar Q from Real Take Wrestling. Um, it's always interesting to me. Wait, wait, what was it? Omar Q from Real Take Wrestling. Okay. Sorry. Um, it's always interesting to me when wrestlers take apart the uh, mat on the ring um, and expose the wood. What was going through your mind when you decided to do that? I wanted to hurt Darby Allen. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> I thought you said you were going to out-wrestle him tonight. I did out-wrestle him. My hand was raised at the end. I beat him two falls to none. Isn't that the kind of stuff that he would normally do that you said uh, proves he's not a great wrestler? Did I say that? I don't remember saying that. So now Tony's working with him. because And then Tony does... Tony's thing now is he likes to get in there and kind of work with the heel. And then he makes like these wacky facial expressions, like he's reacting to the thing that he's completely not surprised by, as if he's surprised by it. But that is Tony's real face, though. I'm not saying it's his fake face. Let's go back to Christian's fake face. Questions for the champ. Um, We did see uh, an old friend show up tonight, but I was wondering... As the title holder, do you have your eye set on anybody else as far as a challenger, or are you just waiting for someone to step up next? Why would I target somebody? I have the most prestigious championship in this company. People should be lining up to step in the ring with me. I'm the biggest star in this company. Just being in my presence elevates them. Of course they're going to line up and challenge me. Well, I'm not challenging anybody. I'm sure that there's a lineup out that door right now. What's up, Tony? Well, I think there is a line out the door. You're a great champion. I think it was a great main event, and I think you've proven you're a great champion. It's uh, been a short time you've held the title, uh, a matter of weeks. But in these recent weeks, I think you've uh, proven that... It's going on four months. <laughs> I'm glad your timelines are in order. Well, let's have more questions for the champ. Awkward. Yeah, there's a lot of silence, and Christian, I got to give it to him, he holds the face. He doesn't break. Yeah, because nobody knows how to react to wrestlers actually kayfabing them and being professional. They're like, uh, well, he's not, he's not telling the truth. He, he's, he's trying to do his gimmick. Fuck. Do you think there's an argument for the way that Christian's handling himself here that he's... 
not not to take anything away from MJF, but Christian's kind of he's acting like his belt's the big belt in the company. He should. Who who else is going to get it over if he doesn't? And it hasn't been over. He's actually repairing it now, I think. Yes, and that's part of being a fucking obnoxious heel like Christian is, is you're an egotist. You're you're convinced that you're the greatest and that everybody else is in your basking in your glory and etc. And I again, I go back to this generation fine. They like to go out and talk to the media, even if the media is a bunch of children with their own wrestling websites. But if you took the major stars of 30 years ago and said, okay, after the goddamn pay-per-view, when you've been beat to hell, then we're going to have you all sit around for two or three hours till two or three o'clock in the morning talking to a bunch of fans that have websites. And we want you to tell the truth to them and speak openly about how much fun you're having working on creative things to do with your friends in the matches. They would have all grabbed their fucking bags and left. Not a soul would have been there. So at least Christian is trying to do something to make good of a bad situation by doing something to get him over instead of make the business look like a bunch of fucking romper room fucks. Well, let's get one last question for Christian Cage. TNT champion. Um, Lyric Swin, Monthly Pierso. When you say that AEW needs a father figure, what does that entail? There's a lot of lost souls in this company that need guidance. I feel it's my duty, my civil duty, to make sure that they're guided in the right direction. And Nick Wayne, like I said, he's got a bright, bright future now. Smart boy. I noticed at the beginning of the show tonight, as we did the opening ceremony for the late great Antonio Inoki, I noticed you were watching on at the beginning of the mm-hmm. event. Yep. They lost their grandfather. <laughs> what? He's always watching. I'm always watching. Any Didn't more he... questions for the great champion? <laughs> Anecdotally. It was a classic main event. It was a classic pay-per-view and uh, you've been a huge part of what I think has been the best run of AEW shows we've ever done. Uh, Largely thanks to you, sir. You're welcome. All right. Well, it's uh, been a great having the champion here. Let's hear it for the TNT champion, Mr. Christian Cage. What did somebody knock the coffee pot over? What happened? No, they have a thing where they have the belt displayed on it and Christian knocked it over. And it made a loud crash like me putting my marimba down. Ah, the marimba again. That's right. Any final thoughts on Christian's appearance here? It, again, you know, it's, it's what kind of what MJF was good at doing when he was a heel, which is actually using this stupid, pointless, waste of time media scrum to get people talking about what you're saying or get your shit over. And everybody else is just going out there telling the truth. Oh, yeah, it's all phony, and we love doing this to each other. And these guys in there are trying to do business. So there you go. I'm looking at some of the other appearances during this media scrum. You had MJF, obviously, Chris Jericho, and Kenny Omega together. Mm-hmm. It's easy to go out there when you know you're never going to be asked a question about any of the CM Punk stuff. 
then was Christian Cage, Swerve Strickland, Brian Danielson, Chris Statlander, Orange Cassidy, and Shibata. How long did this fucking thing go? Darby Allen and Tony then went solo. I'm going to go to two hours and nine minutes in after the pay-per-view event. <sighs> this is what the promoter's doing for two hours after the pay-per-view event. Let's go to this about Jay Cargill. Hi, Tony. TK from Women's Wrestling Talk. So I spoke to you in Chicago and I uh, asked you about Jade and you're like, you know, whenever she's ready, she can come back. And she came back and she's gone. Now, my question, just, you know, being nosy, did you already know that, you know, this was the game plan? I uh, knew Jade's contract had been at a, you know, ticking down and we were talking about a new contract and I was very interested in Jade coming back and we were having a negotiation and uh, I think it was, a, a, I offered, I made a very big offer and, uh, I thought it was a very fair offer and, uh, I think she was considering it and then she asked for a bigger offer and then I went up again and I kind of thought that was going to do it. And then it, it didn't, which I was surprised because to be honest, I came up to a number that was higher than her original ask. So I don't know what I would have had to do at that point. So I was a little surprised, but I was. Let's stop it there for a second. Cause that is interesting. So they're in the midst of renegotiations or, or not renegotiate negotiations on a new contract. Yeah. And he gave her a figure. He thought it was fair. She declined it, asked for more. He gave her more. And that wasn't enough. I guess the question people are going to wonder is how not even when did she have her heart set on WWE, but when did she start talking to WWE? Well, the thing is, sometimes you'll ask for something and you'll say, they'll never do this and that you're out because you don't want to do it to begin with. So you Good ask point. for something Good you point. think they ain't going to give you. Heyman did that with impact, with that celebrated time where they heard that he was talking to Dixie. Oh, and TNA. He, it was still TNA then. Well, at TNA. And he knew that he himself, he couldn't, save the whole company because he wouldn't be in Dixie's position. And so he said, I want a piece of ownership of the company, knowing that was the one thing that she or her parents wouldn't allow her to give or whatever. So he could walk away as the baby face. Well, I, they didn't give me what I asked for. Well, and maybe this backfired on, on Jade because if he kept going up in money and kept going to where it was more than she had asked for to begin with, I think in between what she asked for and and that, either she found out there was a WWE opening or or an open to talk to him, or she was just asking for more than she thought he would go for if he was sane and rational so that she could, well, okay, it didn't work, and go where she was going to go anyway. But we've... <sighs> What was he going to get out of this giant offer, whatever that giant offer was? The way he used her, yes, she, he made her a star. She was undefeated. She beat everybody. She lost two matches out of 73 she's had in her entire career, or whatever it is. And it, 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 she'd done everything. He didn't get a pay-per-view match that was a big draw. He didn't get a house show match. I don't think she did a house shows, did she? Even when they did them. He didn't get... He got a few ratings quarter hours. 
And what the fuck? That it was meaningless. She knew that she was never going to be a bigger star or be trained properly or go into movies, major motion pictures and sitcoms unless she went to the WWE. And since she had already been in that developmental program or been looked at by the developmental program and they didn't take her, it was Tony being kind enough to give her hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to learn to wrestle and putting her over on his television weekly, constantly, and giving her all the interviews to talk about nothing besides say the word shit to Tony Schiavone to just make her a star so the WWE would want her. And now they're going to fucking bypass developmental and put her on the main television. Even though she still needs training, which she will get in that environment. But it's like he, he allowed himself to lay down and let people wipe his feet or wipe their feet on him because he had this great idea to make this lovely young lady an undefeated superstar before she'd ever had a fucking match. Well, let's go back to Tony talking about Jay Cargill and the negotiations. When I did, uh, when I answered your question, really hope Jade would be back. I think I tried to handle it when, I, when we were down to the nitty gritty and we were in the final couple weeks and we still hadn't agreed to something. Then it was at the point where I said, okay, well, if you aren't going to stay, I want to give you the best possible exit. And I have only good things to say about Jade. I really enjoyed working with her. She was a great part of AEW. She's always welcome here. I tried to give her the best possible send-off I could. The classiest send-off I've ever seen in wrestling was, at the time, was I thought it wasn't the kind of send-off I really saw. And I was 10 years old, and I could tell it was different. It was when Ric Flair left the WWF. And he did a, a match with Mr. Perfect, who was a natural person for him to wrestle, and that was it. And then he was gone. They didn't do anything to embarrass him or mess him up, or and they let him leave, and he was still Ric Flair. He, he wrestled the match against the person he should have wrestled, finished up and left with not only, to say the least, not only with his dignity, but in a str- probably a better position than he came in. And Let me stop it there. That's a weird match to cite as the classiest send-off. Nothing against it, but if you remember, I think it was the third Monday Night Raw, or it was around that period of time. Yeah, Ric Flair was in WWF. They were going to move him down the card. He had a deal where he can get out of his deal if they did. Vince said, okay. So, out of nowhere, his feud of Mr. Perfect, it was, I challenge you to a loser leaves WWF match. And then that match happened the next week. And then Flair was gone. Again, nothing well, against that, but it's not really a classy send-off, is it? But uh, No, but also, it was just doing normal course of business. But with Tony, <laughs> there's no comparison between Jane Cargill and Ric Flair. And not in terms of the person, although there's no similarities there, or the talent level, there's no similarities there, but the way they were being used and how they had been used and what was going on. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's go back. If they'd have had a loser leave AEW match with Cargill versus X, Y, or Z, it wouldn't have been that memorable because. She'd only been there fucking a couple of years doing squash matches. She wasn't the 
greatest wrestler in the history of the fucking game. Hey, he definitely took care of her on the way out. You're going to lose and it'll be on Rampage. Yeah. No one's going to see, see it. it. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that is a way of taking care of her. You could have put it on Dynamite. And he should have to get something out of his investment. Let's go back to Tony. And that's what I tried to do. I, you know, I wanted to give her the best possible send off. I think the natural thing was there was no rematch ever against Chris Statlander. So I had her do a run in and lay out Statlander, knowing that it was going to set up the, the match where she would likely finish up unless we came to an agreement at the last minute, which I was really still hoping would happen down to the last minute, to be honest with you. And I'm not, I don't think I'm talking out of school. I have only positive things to say, but that's where it was at. So I thought I had a pretty good plan at that point that, you know, if this is it, that's where we'll finish up. When she did the uh, segment where she returned on collision to set up her final match the following week on Rampage against Chris Statlander in the main event, she did the run-in and Tony Schiavone came up to the desk, tapped on my monitor and said, you're a classy guy, boss. And I think oh, he meant boy. it. That was a classy way to send her off. And, uh, you know, I, I try to uh, make this a great home for wrestlers. And I want people to see whether you're coming in or coming out. We're going to uh, treat you well. Hey, wait a minute. I really wait. It's not a home for wrestlers. It's just a boarding house for wayward wrestlers in transition. They're going to come and they're going to go. They're not going to buy retirement property, Tony. They're going to relocate there while their job it, it necessitates it. And then they're going to move on to greener pastures. Just get that in your head right now. Boy, Shivani really figured out how to get in good with Tony Khan a couple of years ago, didn't he? Boy, howdy, did he? Maybe Tony's supplying him with all that hair dye. I love you, Tony, but you're older than me. And value Jade. So I wanted to give her a good send off. And like I said, I wish her the best. And she'd always be welcome back if she wanted to come back. Thanks. I mean, you can argue about various things here. Of course, negotiating till the last minute is never a good idea. And it seems to happen a few times at AEW. But anything wrong with what Tony's saying here? Yes. Yes. Because here's the thing. If she had said, okay, you know what, boss? I'm coming back here. I'll take the deal. Now he's booked her against Statlander. Was he going to change the finish? Or was she going to still do the job? And what's happened with Stadlander if she gets beat? Because Jane decided to re-sign. It, no, you don't do this and you don't cater to these people to that extent, especially when they mean nothing in terms of changing the bottom line of your business or your overall ratings or your pay-per-view buys or whatever. It just shows that Tony can be had. And that's what, that's the reason why you're starting to hear that a lot of people are looking at, at AEW like a way station. Like, well, they won't give me six or seven figures in the WWF right now, but they sure will in AEW. And then sooner or later, I'll end up there anyway. If I can just get on TV and prove to them that I'm good, then the WWF will sign me eventually. That's what they're starting to do now. Because this, the gap is widening. Well, we will certainly see what happens with this gap in the weeks ahead. We're going to stop it here, Jim. This is two hours. And I'll, ju I'll just say one more thing. I don't, I wasn't involved in the discussions, obviously, 
But when she did the original job, who'd she put over? The first Statlander. One. It was Statlander, Statlander both so, times. Statlander. Okay, when she did the original job, and it was on Dynamite, then fine. No, it was on a pay-per-view. I think it was on a pay-per-view. It was on the pay-per-view. But they can play it on Dynamite anywhere they, anytime they want because it's their fucking programming. Point is, Statlander beats the undefeated superstar, Jane Cargill, and now Statlander is the champion, and we're going to play that on all the televisions because that gets Statlander over. We get some return on having 72 people or whatever put Cargill over. And now we'll talk about the new contract. We'd love to have you back. And if you sign a new contract, we'll bring you back and put you on television, start putting you over again. But if you don't, you're already done. And the last time they saw you was getting beat by Chris Statlander, which helps my business. Not, oh golly, after two months, she's taking a break. She still won't sign. I'm going to bring her back and let her beat Statlander up. And then I'm going to have her put Statlander over again on a show that nobody watches. And then she'll be straight into the WWF next week. That didn't make any fucking sense. Do you think from what you know and from what you hear in situations like this that Tony is overly concerned with people? He doesn't want to make anyone unhappy with him. He doesn't want anybody to think, well, he screwed me around or he treated me bad, even when he's not. As long as they think that, he takes it seriously. So, no, he, he wants friends. Poor Richie Rich wants friends. And that's been the problem since day one and will continue to be. And I don't know how many times we got to say it, but it's obvious and everybody's talking about it. He, he wants friends. He doesn't want employees. He wants to have fun doing the thing he's always wanted to do. He's not running a business. And when you get $100 million to do whatever the fuck you want to do with, you can do a lot of shit for a while. But sooner or later, there comes a time at some point, you have to start being good at it. I believe we're coming to the point. Maybe we've already got there and we're starting to see what happens. Well, Jim, this media scrum went two hours and 20 minutes after the pay-per-view, which went hours and hours and hours. And Tony's still wide awake. He's drinking uh, water, it appears. But maybe after an event like this, he's so wired, he's so awake, full of energy still, that he would go back to his hotel. And because he's in a strange land and a strange place, being, uh, you know, Seattle, he doesn't have access to all the shows he usually watches over in England when he's with his football team, football club, I guess. Maybe he needs ExpressVPN. I was wondering if you were ever going to get down that road. Well, I'll tell you what he does need. He, besides the fact that he needs someone to watch over him and make sure he doesn't act awkward in public, he also needs a, a subscription to ExpressVPN for exactly the reason you mentioned, because The Office is on UK Netflix, right? Not our office, but their office. The original. They had an office before we had an office. That's, it's the original one. The one in America is based on that one. Yeah, but you can't see the, the real deal. All you can see is the ripoff over here. But if you get ExpressVPN and change your location, relocate where you are set at in the world, then you can watch 
The Office on UK Netflix, and nobody will be any the wiser because you can use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries, not just Netflix. It works with Hulu, with the BBC iPlayer, with YouTube. Wait a minute. People aren't going to be able to zoom us out of money on our YouTube channel with this, are they? No, we should be okay. Okay, well, in that case, I'm going to continue to plug it. Because you can watch anything with Express... Say you love Korean dramas, and who doesn't love a good Korean drama? You can use ExpressVPN to watch Parasite off the South Korean Netflix. But now, wait a minute. I think I've discovered an issue with that. If it's Korean dramas, and it's South Korean Netflix, and they think you're located in South Korea, ain't they going to be speaking South Korean? Well, you always have the options for closed captioning or maybe subtitles. Won't that be in South Korean, too? It doesn't have to be. Maybe, I mean, here in Can America... Can you change that shit? Well, we could change it from English to Spanish to French to German to all sorts of different things on our TVs. Well, I didn't know that. Well, ExpressVPN is even greater than I thought. Well, no, 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 it's not ExpressVPN. It'll let you understand any language spoken on Earth. No, that's not what they will do. You'll be able to speak Swahili. You'll be able to speak to the to the fucking people on Easter Island, you'll be able to speak that language that they speak down at the South Pole. All due to ExpressVPN, it's it's nope. better than the than the the babble. It's better than all these language learning things because you just punch a button and automatically you're speaking and understanding South Korean. No, you will not understand nope. anything language-wise that you don't currently understand, but you can access their shows. Well, what good would that be? If they're do on the then? internet. If you don't understand what they're saying. Because I'm telling you, you got to get the ExpressVPN no, no, no. so that you'll understand all these people talking to you. No, ExpressVPN will supply the facilitation so that you can access the various websites or various things from South Korea. However, those sites themselves would have the closed captioning or the English translation or whatever it may be. Well, never mind. But nevertheless, ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. It's positively, obscenely fast. There's never any buffering or lag. You can stream in HD. No problem whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it's so blazingly fast, when you press that button, you got to turn a garden hose on your computer because it's going to just blaze in and set the whole house on fire. And it works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. You can watch what you want to watch on your Dick Tracy TV wristwatch or on your big screen. And right now, if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows as well as thousands of new languages, use my link right now, expressvpn.com JCE. You're going to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free expressvpn.com slash jce you can learn more and you can get an extra three months of expressvpn for now three how many tv shows can you watch in three months if you don't go to bed like tony if you don't go to bed well tony has work to do though so he can't just sit around and watch tv he's not staying well, awake and watching tv he's got the tv on in the background while he's writing all this stuff it's obvious something is distracting him so in, in three months, you can watch a lot of TV shows and you can learn dozens of new languages. 
So right now, folks, once again, hundreds of shows, thousands of languages, three months for free, all these time periods and categories. How can you turn this down? ExpressVPN.com slash JCE. Do you uh do you speak French, Brian? Voulez-vous Francais? I do not speak French, no. What about German? Achtung, baby! Now fuck the Germans. Well, what did the Germans ever do to you? I'm Jewish. I guess that's something. ExpressVPN.com. Promo code. There we go. There we go. It's not a promo code, it's a slash. It's a slash. And before we slash our way out of here. Jim, a story breaking as we are recording. Uh-oh, I hate when this happens. Well, a lot of listeners are sending this in to us from the Wrestling Observer newsletter that just came out today. Here's Dave Meltzer. Regarding CM Punk, there is obviously tons of talk regarding him returning to WWE. There have been rumors that it's happening, but those in WWE have only said that no deal is completed, <laughs> and those close to Punk have told us that it is his intention to return, and the two sides are in talks. One would expect, if such a deal is made, that Survivor Series weekend in Chicago would be the time to do the surprise return. So there it is in the Observer. Something shocking. Something Who we've heard. Something this. Well, something that now that it's in the Observer, people are jumping on because it's now it's in print. But. Well, it's just because something is in print that was obvious from the start. Is that still make it a surprise? What what did anybody else think was going to happen? He was was willing, Punk was willing to come back and work with these fucking assholes that had made his life miserable. And he returned and did that, and nothing had changed, and Tony had fixed nothing and dressed nothing. And it blew up again, and this time, Tony was... Kind enough to let Punk out of any contractual commitment so he didn't have to stay and he didn't have to make the best of it and he didn't have to put up with talking to these people or dealing with these people. And he was free at that point to go make another deal wherever else in the world. And wherever else in the world that would pay the money that it would take to get him interested boils down to the WWE. I I saw some people, well, I'm sure Impact Wrestling would welcome him with open arms. I'm sure they would. (laughs) But they probably wouldn't welcome him with an open Brinks truck, and that's what it would take. And and this is a guy who said he didn't want to, before he came back to AEW, he didn't want to be a guy just coming back to do bad television. Well, he ended up on one bad TV show that he couldn't do anything about, so... This has been obvious what was going to happen. Survivor Series is in Chicago. Great time to make a debut. Royal Rumble is in January. Great time to fucking win it. A world title of some description would be at WrestleMania. Great time to wrestle for it. The fuck? This is, this is not news. This is common sense taking place. And again, if they go with The Rock... Uh, Roman Reigns build, Cody and Punk is such an amazing natural story you could tell. Yeah. And those two guys doing promos would be great. My fear is he comes in (laughs) and they put him with like Rollins for a while or something. Well, if it's to get Punk over because Rollins has done enough at this point, if it gets him away from Shaky Nakamura and Shaky has a brother named Quakey, 
Um, uh, but again, this is not surprising, and this is exactly what we figured would happen. Once that he was free of any paperwork with AEW, they're going to give him a fucking very nice deal, I'm sure, the new ownership, because they're spiking numbers, they're doing media negotiations, they need to get the ratings up, they're bringing all the stars back, hands on deck. I uh, Color me very unsurprised. Does it look good or bad for AEW? Not not that they're doing anything here, but if Punk returns, is it better for AEW if Punk isn't involved in wrestling, or is Punk's existence anywhere going to constantly remind people of the bad of AEW? Yeah, because they've lost, or will have lost, in you know a, a two-year period, Cody Rhodes, Jane Cargill, CM Punk. It doesn't it's it's not a good look for the company to lose people that they have heavily featured and then you know they're gone and and again it's going to look when punk goes to the WWE and has no issues and nobody gets fucking goozled backstage and there's no goddamn whisper campaign going on it's going to make AEW look worse oh it must have just been that place See, I look at it the other way. When Punk throws a chair at Triple H <laughs> and Ace Steel bites Bruce Prichard, we've got something great to talk about for months. But then but then Ace is going to have to have those rabies shots. Tetanus shot. Tetanus, rabies, locked jaw, hoof and mouth disease, whatever he's... But that's the thing is, and everybody said, oh, it's Punk wherever he goes. He, he had problems there. Yeah, he had arguments with people. And he didn't like the way he was being used, and he told a few people off. I don't remember any goddamn front-face-locking Triple H or goddamn punching Vince in the fucking nose. So, eh. Well, Jim, another thing that a lot of listeners are sending us questions about here as we are recording, Hulk Hogan just did another interview. Where is this from? With Chris Van Vliet, Hogan made some comments that apparently back in May, Shane McMahon contacted him about a match at WrestleMania in Hollywood. Or he said this in May originally. Now he's claiming, in a new surprising tidbit, that due to his inability to compete physically, Hulk Hogan, the match was going to be Shane McMahon against Nick Hogan. What? At WrestleMania. What? Any thoughts on Hulk Hogan saying this? But where do I begin? Um... Not only did Shane suffer an incredible, I don't even know if Hogan remembers that. Was he at the show even? And just did oh, Shane suffered the ignominious injury that he suffered the last time that we saw him. And does anybody in their right mind think that with Endeavor buying the company, that that they were going to have Shane go out there to work with some fucking goof that's never had a wrestling match in his life, Hulk Hogan's son. Did uh, well. Apparently, what, Hogan's claiming Chris. Hogan's claiming that his son was training with Rikishi, and he was part of the same group uh, that included Miro. Oh, good lord! I'm not saying that Hulk Hogan's son has never had any wrestling lessons or training from anybody i'm saying he's never had a fucking match anywhere in front of people and shane at 
nearly my age, late 50s, mid 50s, whatever he is, after having gotten hurt and fell on his face literally and figuratively the last time we saw him, and then the Endeavor deal is going and all the shit that Vince is involved in, but, oh, he's going to make sure to put Shane in a single match against Hulk Hogan's son at WrestleMania. That's the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard. Somebody ought to put a shock collar on Hogan and watch him spaz out every time he opens his mouth. Just program it. If this is a lie, he's going to get fucking 5,000 volts straight to the goddamn carotid artery. Well, here's another one that we've been sent from the same interview, apparently. Here's Hulk Hogan talking about the death of Bruiser Brody. Brody was kind of hard to do business with in the ring. He's really stiff and would beat the Yeah, He wouldn't put anybody over. And he was, you know, he was a big, big man, six foot eight, 330 pounds in crazy shape. And, you know, they wanted to beat him. He was, nah, not tonight, brother. You know? Wow. So after the match, they said, hey, Jose wants to talk to you in the shower. Oh, Brody good Lord. In the shower, he jumped him, cut his throat, and died right there. And all the wrestlers that saw it oh. were afraid to go back and testify. Brody. Well, that's the first time I've oh. heard about Bruiser Brody having his throat cut in the shower. That's, well, that's the first time I've heard that they actually had the match first and he wouldn't put anybody over. Obviously, as everyone in the world besides this delusional lying twat, Hulk Hogan, knows, Brody was murdered in the shower by Jose Gonzalez in the locker room before the show even started. And he didn't cut his throat, he stabbed him in the stomach. And the guys weren't, well, I'm sure some of them were afraid. But the main thing stopping everybody going back and testifying to what happened was that none of the subpoenas were delivered until after the trial was over with because it was Puerto Rico and Carlos Colon was hooked up. And now, was Hogan in the locker room? Did he, by his own admission, did he see this happen and try to intervene or anything? I don't think so. No, the only person I, I have to say who's put himself there was Ric Flair. Ric Flair has all of a sudden put himself in the middle of the Great American Bash as being in the locker room in Puerto Rico. Yes. And which, he wasn't Which even. he wasn't. He no, was he with wasn't. Hogan uh, in Fantasyland. Yeah. They were flying circles around the world to turn the time back. But, it, but no, it, 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 again... Hogan doesn't know the story of Jose Gonzalez and Bruiser Brody. Hulk Hogan made up that it, just because he has a son and Vince has a son that they were going to have a match at WrestleMania. And every time it, his own story, and I'll say this and I'll quit. His own story is impressive enough. But every time he does one of these interviews, he's got to lie out his ass like he's taking lessons from Donald fucking Trump. And it's ridiculous. And I'm waiting for the day that one of these mainstream news hosts or show hosts actually know what the fuck he's talking about and tell him, no, that's not the way it happened. You weren't even there. I'd love to hear that, but they won't do it. Because they're scared. That's the problem. If you get Hogan for an interview, who's going to be the ballsy person to say, listen, none of this happened? Why you can't are you completely tell the truth? full of shit. Nothing that you have uttered in the last 20 years bears any resemblance to the fucking truth. You, sir, are a dishonest man. That's what I want to hear somebody say to him. Say, I love the fact that he married this woman who's a Scientologist because it makes me hope that he gets brought into Scientology because they give everyone an audit where you have to tell everyone like auditors, Scientology auditors over and over again, 
the truth about everything and they write it down and uh, allegedly sometimes use it against you to keep you from leaving Scientology, but Above what? Hogan Boy, can't how, tell the how truth. How do I get involved with these people? That sounds like so much fun. Well, Hogan, what the fuck? I love the idea that Hogan can do an interview with them. He'll just say whatever. They can't hold anything over his head. Everything's bullshit. Yes. Nothing is true. And and if he and if it is true, he says it's it's actually Hulk Hogan, but not Terry Bollea, so it's not real. Well, we will certainly be talking more about Mr. Bollea in the future, but Jim, <laughs> perhaps if. Hulk Hogan was making up stories about you. You may want to sue. Well, in, ex- in that case, I would know exactly who to call, and I would know exactly what his number was if I could remember his new number. So play the music while we check out the number. Call Stephen P. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, forget everything that we have ever told you about the phone number of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com because it is no longer that number. He's got a brand new one, 877-50-STEVE, 877-50-STEVE. Call the lawyer whose name is his number. No, that's the Call the lawyer whose name is his number. That'll be a lawsuit. Hey, I've spent enough money with Tom Drexler. I can sing their jingle and customize the words all I want. Who does their music yes. publishing? It's Tom's daughter. Oh. Tom's daughter, Penelope. She does the publishing. one 877 steve is the number to call if you want to be represented by the erstwhile consigliere of the cult of Cornette in your wrongful termination or your damage or death, destruction. If you've been killed, you need to get on the phone right away and call Stephen P. New at 877-507-8383. Not everyone knows the letters. You got to, this is the 1950s. You the gotta, letters are on the goddamn phone dial. It's easier to say the numbers. People punch in numbers. Hey, look, look, what number? No, like, but oh, you can't remember all those numbers. Yeah, 877-50-STEVE. You remember that because Steve McGarrett of Hawaii 50. See, 877-50-STEVE. It's, Not 877 It's catchier. 507-8383. You know what's catchy? Call the lawyer whose name is a number. Call the lawyer whose name is a number. What's Tom Drexler's See, number? That, Hold on, what's Tom Drexler's number? One Tom Drexler. That's his he's name. Got, he's got the... This, he's if got it was Steve like New, it would be his name. It's just Steve. There's not enough numbers. Whose fault is that? You'd be dialing extra numbers. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And besides that, and regarding the music publishing, the way I sing it, nobody can tell what the original song sounds like anyway, so we're covered. Oh, my God. So call the lawyer whose name is his number, 877-50-STEVE. That's right. Stephen Pinu, 507-877-507-8383. See, that's just gibberish. That's just a lot of numbers. I'm trying to help people out. Jim, one last thing before we get out of here. We will have songs returning next week, but Jim and I both have crazy schedules and we need to uh, get ready for the experience. Today is the anniversary, unfortunately, a sad anniversary. In 1999, we lost Gorilla Monsoon on this date. Any memories of Gorilla Monsoon? 
Oh, but now you, hey, we're just going to take a couple of extra seconds before we're done with the show. Oh, here's an essay question, Jim, that you could speak on for hours at a time. Uh, Brian Solomon, our friend and confidant, is currently working on a book, a biography of Gorilla Monsoon. And, you know, in in uh, in a brief period of time that we have before you have to get going, and I, I got to go, I'm going to rehab, but only to visit. Um, I knew it. Gorilla Monsoon was, now that I am older and understand, when I was younger, we never saw Gorilla Monsoon. He was a Northeast guy. He didn't travel that much to other territories. And his main years as a top main event talent had come in from the late 50s through the early 70s. So he was a little bit before my time there as well. I'd never seen video, seen the pictures, read the magazines, didn't get it. Because Gino honestly aged. He looked older when he was younger, and then he looked even older when he was older. And he had the, he was not a, uh, a Lex Luger type physique, but he was a huge man. But when I came to know him, not only to find out how intelligent he was, but also to find out how he'd become so successful in the wrestling business, Gorilla Monsoon was not only one of the highest paid wrestlers in the country at one point, at many points, but was also one of the most successful in terms of his business dealings outside the ring and the contacts he made. He was very well respected. But from being a an amateur college shooter at that size and then getting in the business and getting the incredible ring name of Gorilla Monsoon, having Wild Red Berry as a manager, he was from Manchuria, couldn't speak English, even though he was an incredibly intelligent college graduate, people thought he was this Manchurian beast. And then what he did behind the scenes, he became so instrumental to the operation of the promotion up there that he was able to buy into Vince Sr.'s company and was a shareholder for many years, as well as he retired from a full-time schedule very early on because he was making so much money from the promotional aspect. And he was still used as a main event guy because of his the tremendous name that he had made in the Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, Philly Spectrum, whatever. So the stories you heard about Gorilla, you know, he got a new car constantly, always a big Lincoln or a Cadillac, and his license plate said K-Fabe, K-A-Y-F-A-B-E, when nobody knew what that meant. But he was always dressed so well when he had to make an appearance or in front of the public. And he carried, we've talked about this, $10,000 in cash on him at all times in $100 bills, would have choked a horse. And you say, Gorilla, what do you need that much money for? He'd say, well, I might need to buy something. And who was going to take it away from him? Nobody, right? So as a wrestler, the people in the Northeast got it of that era. And then he was the commissioner of the WWF. I don't know whether the newer generation of fans really understood how instrumental he'd been and what a big star he'd been. But he was, behind the scenes, one of the most successful guys in the history of the wrestling business because not only was he a main event star, he owned part of the 
biggest regional promotion in the country and made a fortune off of the uh, the profit checks without even having to go to the fucking towns. Well, also, the deal he structured is one of the great deals ever. Vince McMahon purchases his father's company for a million dollars despite the fact that it's making many more millions than that. He uses the company profits to pay for it, pays out his father, and the partners, including Gorilla Monsoon. Monsoon works a deal where he gets a lifetime job. Yeah. And also, I think it was 1.5% preliminary money for every single show WWE ever runs until his passing. And remember, they were running, at times, three or four shows a night in the 80s. Well, see, because he had a piece of the company beforehand, and that meant that technically he would get a piece of all of those shows. So when he sold his piece, (laughs) he still wanted the piece he was getting of all those shows. And, And that's the thing. Only a few people with Vince Sr. or Vince Jr. had any kind of leverage approaching that. And I can think of Gorilla and Bruno. Bruno, to come back to be the champion, got 6% of the house on every show he wrestled on and 5% of Madison Square Garden, which right there 40 years ago, 50 years ago now, was probably four or $5,000 per show, which would be five times that now. You know, that that's the kind of guys, though, kind of guys, that's the kind of money those guys were making when they proved themselves to be either instrumental at the box office or behind the scenes to a major regional promotion, that's the kind of spot you could land in if you were smart. And Gorilla was, everybody loved him, respected him, and he was a smart guy, very intelligent, very educated. Well, there it is, and that will be the end of this week's drive-through. Let's uh, get some official closing music. What do I got over here? What do I have over here? Where's my... While you're looking... Someone keeps moving my shit. I've got some music. Here, I got these wooden spoons. All right, I haven't really figured out how to use these yet. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a musical spoon player yet. All right. With that, the drive throughs closed, and because this has all been so bad here at the end, we're just going to... Save all the other stuff for next week's on the show. I can't even speak anymore. Are we done? You need medicine. I need medicine. We'll be back on the experience probably before you know it. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! We start recording the experience in about three hours, don't we?